All right, welcome to the Regular Joe's Podcast. Today with me, I have my boy Izzy. Uh, what up, what up? 20 years retired. Uh, three years he's been retired. He served from 98 to 2018 uh, with five deployments. And uh, how him and I know each other is we deployed together, or I deployed, he was there uh, for a year in Honduras in 2010. Um, and so, I mean, we've talked a couple times since then, um, but... I mean, it's kind of like everybody else. We kind of just go our separate ways. Uh, and so what I want you to do is since you've been retired three years, you're going full time now to school. And I just want you to tell your story of, of how it's been for you to transition from military life to now a student to retiree. Sure. Um, first, let me just say two things. Uh, first, I want to commend you, Mike, on establishing this platform, especially for the, those veterans that are making the transition. Um, I think it's something that definitely is needed. I know there's probably more podcasts like this, but it's something I feel like veterans definitely need to either hear so that way they could get some inputs on on what they might be going through similar situations or whatnot, or just even just for advice, you know? So, and the second thing is I heard your story, man. And, you know, it's, it, I'm glad that you were honest about it. And I think that's, I think that's the point of this is it's to have real talk. You know, because a lot of times veterans, when they go to the VA or as many times as I've been to the VA dealing with veteran service officers and other folks in those offices is like they just tell you what you want to hear. You know, they're not being real with you. They're not they they're not beating around the bush. They just trying to see you just as a customer. And that's pretty much it. So but, uh, you know, I commend you on doing this and being honest with it. Um, So that's awesome on you. But. Yeah, man. Um, let me see. I I retired back in 2018. I did 20 years in the Air Force, and honestly, it was probably the best thing that I could have done. Um, and the funny thing is, is that there was no military like history in my family. My mom and dad came from Puerto Rico to the United States, moved to New York and Brooklyn, and my mom was a nurse at the time. My dad did uh, janitorial services for the hospital. And it was, I was the youngest of five and there was no military. So my older sibling, after he graduated high school, he wanted out. He was like, I need to get out of Brooklyn. I didn't want to be here no more. So he was the first that opened the doors for the military lifestyle because he joined the Marines. So after him, I had two other brothers who are twins. They both went in. So one went in the Navy, one went in the Marines. And I was the last. And my mom, she already was like, you're all going military. Everybody's going military. No fucking college, no nothing besides my sister. She's like, everybody's going military. You guys need to get off the fucking streets. And it's not like growing up in Brooklyn was bad. You know, I'm sure every everybody has their, their, their stories of growing up, how things might have been hard on the streets and stuff like that. But for me, that was that was normal. You know, I, I, I grew up with friends that were dealing drugs. I had... I had friends that were doing drugs, you know, and these are teenagers, you know what I'm saying? But that was the streets. That's what it was like growing up. But I knew that if I would have went to college, I probably would not have focused as much. Um, I probably would have been still in the party scene and everything else, even though that didn't change when I went in the military. <laughs> so, but for the most part, my mom didn't want us there. She, she saw the streets was not good for us. So... Next thing you know, um, my whole, all my brothers are in. I told my mom, I said, Ma, I don't want to do the military. I want to go to college, you know, college for me. And I tell you what, she looked at me. She goes, 
con qué dinero, meaning with what money. So my mom wasn't going to pay for it. So this was me like in the 10th, 11th grade, and I'm already like, yeah. <laughs> you know, these college advisors are coming into the school. You know, these colleges are, are, are like available and everything else, but I didn't know any better. You know, I didn't know about grants. I didn't know about TA. I didn't, I didn't know nothing like that. So my mom, I think it was my senior year, my mom actually sort of dragged me to the recruiter's office. And she was like, you're going to take this test, you're going to pass it, and you're going into the military. And I, you know, I wanted to enjoy my senior year. I wanted to enjoy hanging out with my friends and everything else. So I bombed the ASVAB. I was like, I'm not <laughs> passing this shit. So I took the summer, chilled with my friends and everything else. But then I started seeing that there was no, no progression. You know what I'm saying? The, the same kids were on the same stoop. The same people were hanging out in the same corner stores, same park, same this, same that. And I was like, you know what, I got, I got to make a change. So then January of 98 is when I took the ASVAB. I think it was back in November, December. I was in the delay program. And then finally, the recruiter came and picked me up in January 22nd, 1998 is when I left to go to basic training. And I never looked back. I mean, it was, like I said, it was, it was the best thing I could have done for my life. Um, the good thing is that with having siblings already in it and experiencing it, they were able to give me, you know, inputs on what the lifestyle was like. They all were like, don't join the Marines. I have friends that were in the Army. They were like, don't join the Army. They were like, go in the Air Force. So I was like, okay, Air Force is it, man. You know, like, I'm, I'm going in there. And it was, it was great. I mean, I had my ups and downs here and there, but for the most part, It, it gave me everything that I needed to sort of set me up for where I am at now. So after I retired in 2018, my initial plan was to go overseas. I wanted to work overseas. I wanted to live overseas, specifically with Spain. And my brother, my older brother at the time, he was going through an ugly divorce and everything. And he was living with a uh, mutual friend of ours. So the friend ended up getting married and everything so then he became you know the third wheel the third roommate and he couldn't deal with that no more so he and i talked and everything and he was like you know why don't you come down here we'll get a house you know live together everything else because he was like i need to get out of there so i did that you know family first man so i decided to come help my brother around and everything else so we got the house together and this is where i'm at now so i took a seven month sort of decompression layoff Like, I didn't want to do shit. Like, I was like, I, I just did 20 years. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, I need my body to just relax. I want to do some me time. I just want to chill. I don't even want to think about work or nothing like that. So for seven months, I basically was a bum. You know, I let my beard grow out. I let my hair grow out. I didn't have to worry about shaving no more. I mean, I stayed, I stayed committed to the gym just because to maintain a, a healthy lifestyle and everything. But... Um, that was pretty much it. My routine was wake up, go to the gym, come home and just watch TV, sleep, do it, do it all over again. Finally, around July, after many months of the family antagonizing me on going to school, they were like, you ain't doing shit with yourself. Go to back to school, you know, get your education, get your degree, do this, do that. And I was like, all right, whatever, you know, let me think about it and I'll see what's up. So then in August, I enrolled in a Valencia College here in Florida. And next thing you know, is I just kept going back to back. It was like 
the semesters were going by pretty quick and everything else. And I, I was like, man, you know, I, I could do this. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not having any issues trying to, you know, for and then coming back to school. That was a little of a, of a hassle just because I wasn't like really familiar with the maths and the English, the, you know, how to write papers and things like that. Because, you know, for 20 years, all I was focusing on was the Air Force, you know. So once I got into that and I got into a groove, it was like I, I ended up graduating with my associates after two sort of a year and a half in Valencia because they were able to count my military credits. So that was able to transition over. And then once I got my associates, I just kept going. I easily could have stopped and be like, let me get some work. But I decided to continue on and now be graduating this May with my bachelor's. But the one perk in, in making this transition here to live with my brother is that that also allowed me to not have to juggle school and work. So living with my brother sort of made it sort of fair to where my money wasn't hurting on paying a mortgage or anything like that if I was by myself. Because I'll be honest with you, man, the cost of living here in Florida is expensive. And if I was, if I would have been out here by myself, I definitely would have had to get a job. So living with him, it sort of, you know, we split the bills and everything else. It made it convenient for me to just focus on school and not have to worry about, you know, dealing with work as well. So, and right now I just got to see once I graduate uh, what I want to be when I grow up, man. And that's right now it's, it's, it's still a plan that I try, I'm trying to figure out. I know it's getting close to the window, but it's something I definitely got to look into to see what I want to do. I mean, I, my intention is still I want to go overseas. Uh, I want to do something just different. I don't want to be in the United States. Not that I don't like being in the United States, but I just want to do something different. I mean, I'm young, single. I don't, I don't have kids to worry about. You know, I don't have a wife to worry about. And, and that's probably one reason why I never had any in the military is because I just... I saw all my friends, you know, like you guys, even the single parents constantly having to find support for the kids if they got deployed. You know, it was just a hard, to me, I saw it as a hard life, you know, mm. like I, growing up in Brooklyn where I had childhood friends, these military kids, unfortunately, they don't, they won't know what that is, you know, because they were constantly being moved around and with all the PCSs and everything else. And I mean, one of my boys, man, he, uh, he saw his child being born through Skype because he was deployed to Iraq and the Air Force was not going to send them back. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it was just just little things like that that I was like, yeah, I don't want to put myself in those type of situations. I mean, that's that's just not for me. So but it definitely was an adjustment. Um, school, especially. I mean, man, you know, 38 years old. Uh, here I am going back to school <laughs> at 38 and I, it was like you said in your story, man. I would sit there, and honestly, you know, in the in the Air Force, whenever you did commander's call or any type of leadership conference, you know, they always tell you sit in the front. You know, like don't sit in the back. You sit right. in the front. So because this was sort of new to me, that's what I did. I, in every class, I sat in the front because one, I've been out of school for twenty years. Two, I want to make sure I'm understanding what the professor is talking about. And if I have any questions, I'm, I'm, I'm there, you know, or if I need to stay after class, I stay after class. But I'm a visual learner. You know, mm -hmm. I need to be able to see and understand the information. So that's why I did it. You know, plus it was that military bearing thing. Like, you know, the professor to me, I saw it as, as a, a leadership role. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to mm -hmm. give the professor the respect. 
So I'm going to sit in the front and give her my full attention. And let me tell you, he's fucking young kid. <laughs> Man, you don't, you don't know how many times it will irk me, like you said. They will show up not giving a fuck. They will come to class, no initiative. They will, they will sit there and they would just either be on their cell phone or just not even giving the professor any attention to listening to what the professor was talking about. And it was mind-blowing, man, because it's like, you know, there's, there's kids that would love to be in your position to be able to go to school. Like, some of my classmates, they were the, uh, like, DACA students, you know? Like, they were coming in on visas mm. trying to make something for themselves, but yet here's these other kids whose mom and dad are, are, don't give a shit that they pay for their school, and these kids don't take advantage of that. You know, they just sit there and just, like, it is what it is. Or they'll they'll come to class one day and then the next three days they're not in class. Like they didn't give the respect for the professor one wasn't there and mm. two they just didn't give a fuck. You know, like if they if they didn't pass they didn't pass. But my mentality wasn't like that. I was like I can't afford that. You know, Sam the GI Bill is helping me with this and there's repercussions to it. You know, if I don't do a, if I don't maintain a certain GPA or pass classes or whatever, then my GI Bill is done. You know, they're gonna be like either you paying us back. Or you're not getting no more, you know? So that was an adjustment I had to make, man. And it was like, I would, it would irk me because I would try to give my 100% to whatever task the professor would give. And it just, these kids would half ass the shit or do as much just to show that the, the professor that they did what the professor said. And they would get the same grade. So I was like, what the hell? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this, this is crazy. And I mean, I saw that in the military too. I would work with E6, and because he would half ass shit, he and I are getting the same paycheck. He probably is, re- you know, they're getting retirement, like I'm getting retirement, but yet I always wanted to go 110%. Meanwhile, this guy would go 50%, and it didn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, people weren't held, you know, weren't being accountable for, for their actions and stuff. So that was one of the adjustments, man. Like, I'll give you, I'll give you a story. So I'm in my, uh, I think it was in my, either my English or my humanities class. And the professor goes, I would like for you guys to bring in an item that's memorable to you, to your life or whatever the case may be. So I said, cool. I said, you know, the military is my life. And so that's what I'm going to bring in. So I brought in like my retirement certificate. I brought in my dog tags. And I explained to the, the classmates, like, what it meant for me, why these items are memorable. So the teacher goes, great, you know, good job, everything else. This girl, <laughs> fuck, this girl comes up and she holds up a Chipotle bag. <laughs> okay, a motherfucking Chipotle bag, because that's where she worked. And she said, hey, guys, this Chipotle bag means so much to me because it reminds me of my first job. Thank you. And I was like, what the fuck? It just happened right now. This this can't be it. But those are the adjustments that I had to make, you know, because I wasn't I wasn't in the military no more. You know, I had to I had to try to grasp and now it's a civilian world, you know, and you you basically gotta sort of adjust make adjustments because that's now the world that you live in, unfortunately, you know, and 
And that's why I was grateful for, for the Air Force, especially even now going back to school at my age, because one, I got so much experience. Two, like maturity and mentally, like I've, I have grown from it, you know? So like, I understand etiquette. I understand respect. I understand time management. I understand, you know, how to prioritize, prioritize, you know, the school assignments and everything else. Whereas if I would have been like these kids, 18, 19, who knows? I probably would have been like, I don't give a fuck. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, uh, I mean, the, the military definitely helped me out with that. But for the most part, man, it's 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 an adjustment because we've, we've been so structured and we've sort of been given the guidance on what to do. You know, like you and I, we knew where we were going to next. We knew because we had orders. We knew we were getting deployed, how long we were going to be away. You know, if we needed financial help, we knew where to go in, in the installation. If we needed to talk to somebody, we knew where to go. If we needed medical help, we knew where to go. You know, the base itself, it's its, its own little city. You know, it's yeah. its own little world. It's, it's built to the point where you don't even need to leave the base. You know, when I first started out in the dorms, I didn't have a license. I didn't have a car. So for me to get from point A to point B, I bought myself a mountain bike and and that's what I would do is just take my bike to the BX, the DFAC or whatever the case. But I didn't need to go outside. You know, everything was there for me, you know. So but again, it was I was given the guidance, you know, plus I had people I had mentors I could talk to. I had super, some good supervisors that I was able to talk to. And, you know, and they were able to, you know, keep me on the on the right path. Where in the civilian world, man, it's it's like hunger games. You know, it's every person for themselves sometimes, you know, and unfortunately, it's sad to say that, but it is. I mean, in school, these kids, you know, they would try to put you in group projects. None of these kids want to talk. None of these kids want to take initiatives, take leads to try to, you know, do well for the group. And, and, and you know, I would sit there with these other, these young classmates and literally for like 10 to 20 minutes, we'll be in silence. Because I I didn't want to take over. Right, right, I could easily take over. But I'm I'm trying. I'm saying to myself, they are the ones who need to step up because right. they're they're coming behind me. You know, at this point, I'm already 39, going to 40. I was like, you know, they need to start taking the, the initiative to do what they need to do because I'm almost like their parents. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? God forbid, when it's our time to go, it's gonna be these are supposedly our future leaders. But, dude, we would sit there for, like, 20 minutes silent. <laughs> Until finally, I would be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Bam, 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 you know? And, I mean, it probably didn't help that I had a long-ass beard. So they probably, they probably were looking at me like, yo, this old guy probably has the wisdom and knowledge. So let, let him take the lead on everything. But uh, to this day, they still do group projects. And I don't mm. understand why these kids just don't have the concept of the group dynamics. Whereas I did because the military, the Air Force helped me with that. Right, right. You know, they, the Air Force, remember on deployments, when I, when I would go on my deployments, it was just me. Everybody that I met on my deployments were from all different bases. They were all from different backgrounds. So you had, a, you had to sort of break out of your shell to talk to people because you're working with them. You know what I'm saying? And for me, the best way to work with somebody is if me and you know each other. You know, right. if we... If we that that bond that relationship then work is cake work is smooth you know mm. but if you go in there like an introvert and you don't want to fucking talk to nobody or understand what's going on or anything else then you know it's it's gonna be a tough time 
you know. But but yeah, I mean that those that was one of the adjustments, man. Was you know going back to school. I'm, I'm grateful that the GI Bill is covering for it because these kids and these college debts, man. It's these student loan debts and everything is is crazy. You know, like some of my nieces right now, they're like twenty five thousand dollar in debt. You know, my sister's still paying her debt, and she graduated with her masters like ten years ago. <laughs> you know, so but you know that's one thing I'm grateful for. But again, it's it it took adjusting to these young classmates to these young students and and the thing is i couldn't i couldn't like i try to sort of go with the mindset of developing versus micromanaging you know mm. what i'm saying because i easily could have been like hey this is how we're going to do it because i want to get the a but right. instead i'm not helping them you know what i'm saying and and i think <clears throat> being a supervisor and mm. and and have having airman under me sort of made me always have that mindset to to look out for them and try to develop them and build them versus just going being that fucking asshole supervisor there it's my way or the highway right, right. and that's something that i want to do so one other thing also that i'll mention is um after i finished valencia college they had this program called care it was it was an acronym it was c-a-r-e and basically what it was you were co- you were called a care coach and as a care coach, not only did you help tutor kids, but you also were there for them off classroom time. So God forbid if they had some personal issues or they needed to talk to somebody, they didn't know how they were going to get money to pay for their books or things like that. Like this program was developed to be able to help these kids in need. And I tell you, man, that was I, I, I was fortunate enough to have done that for at least a little over a year to two years and it and it felt like i was back in the air force Mm. man like it felt like i had my airmen under me again i felt like i was a supervisor again because not only was i helping them with their math class but i was also taking the time dedicating time for them as well like i would come on the weekends and do one-on-one sessions with them but i always made sure that I always started off with a how, hi, how are you doing? Mm. It never dwelled right into the into the course, because it showed them like you know I'm like you man you know I'm a student just like you're a student but I wanted to set that environment for them to to understand like you know I'm approachable I can talk be talk you could talk to me or whatever the case right, right. be and it's it's not just all about the course. So once we, you know, had a little chit chat and everything else, then we got to the work and everything. But it was just so rewarding, you know, just to see that these I would get emails from these students telling me, oh, my God, thank you. You know, Mr. Izzy, I appreciate I passed the class and everything else. Oh, thanks, Mr. Izzy. I'm going to graduate now because you helped me pass this class. Like I was so grateful to to get into something like that because. Like I said, it, it it brought me back into that military realm again, that supervisory realm. And and one thing, you know, for the veterans, you know, for the folks listening and stuff is one is if you can try to get yourself into into a program like that, into into an organization or even volunteer services wise, where you are paying it forward, where you are able to give back because you'll be surprised how much you feel like you are back in the service, even though you miss it so much, but it'll put you back into that role of where you're helping others, just like you will help your airmen, you know, mm-hmm. you're developing 
just like you would develop your airmen or you know your soldiers or or seamen or whatever the case may be but i definitely recommend to to get involved in things like that and 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 it definitely you know it's a distraction you know you're not just focusing on 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 what's next what am i going to do you know i'm fucking stuck or whatever the case would be you know plus it opens it opens doors for you to network as well you know now i've got contacts in valencia college that if i ever needed a job i could call and say hey you know is there any work available or if i need a character reference for another school or anything like that i got that available to me because of me being involved in this program so but yeah definitely adjustment with school man it's I had to I had to learn real quick that these ain't your airmen. You can't chew them out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you can't. You know you, you gotta you gotta you gotta approach it in a, in a in a alternative means. But I also learned to adjust. You know, get involved. Like I said, you know I'm I'm grateful for that program. It helped me to get involved, be back into the community, give back to the community, help these young students because not only were we doing the classwork. But I was also able to share life experiences, you know, advices, uh, any any opinions, recommendations, whatever the case may be. So, but the other thing that I would say, as far as adjustments after retirement, is a support system. You know, for me, I was fortunate that majority of my family lives here in Florida. Majority mm-hmm. of my friends live here in Florida, and and when I was in the service and I would take vacation to come visit my family in Florida, I really was making, you know, knowing people, making friends and everything else. And it's crazy that now is like a lot of my retiree friends are all moving to Florida. <laughs> you know, Florida, Florida's that retirement state. It's like either Cali, Texas or Florida. Everybody yeah, yeah. wants to go, wants to go live, you know. So, and, and it's good to know people because, the, again, the network is there. So, for employment bases, you know, for for character reference, for you know connections on maybe somebody can help you get this job or that job, but you know definitely try to invest yourself in a support program, man. I, I think that's critical. I think that's that's what really helps in making the adjustment, because honestly, man, if if you're doing this by yourself, especially if there's a lot of things that are happening negatively in your life, is it's gonna be tough, man. You know, it's it's gonna be hard to overcome, especially if you have family involved and everything else. It's it's gonna be tough to try to do it alone. And you know, in the in the Air Force, we didn't have that. We had a brotherhood. You know, we have people that we could go to. We have people to rely on. You know, there there were times that I I mo- most of the time I didn't even go to my own supervisor. I would go to somebody else that I knew would be better for me. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and I'm grateful that I have that here, whether it's just to talk to my family if I need anything or just to pick up a phone and call my friends that are an hour away maybe and they'd be like, hey, come to the house, let's hang out and we'll, we'll deal with it, you know? So definitely have a support program, man. I, I think that's beneficial in anybody's transition. Um, I know a lot of times, and I see it a lot, is a lot of these young soldiers, they will come out and they go back home. You know what I'm saying? Like they have no plan. They don't know what they want to do. So they go back home to mom and dad and they rely on mom and dad because, you know, they can't get a job or whatever the case may be. But I always try to tell my airmen, I even did it for myself, is if you know you're coming close to that window where it's going to close because, number one, the military is not forever. You, You can't do it forever. You know, you need to start planning for yourself. You really need to start thinking about what you want to do, 
where you want to go, what, where you want to call home, what's going to be work for you and things like that. And there's a lot of, of resources out there that a lot of people are not aware of to, to be able to uh, pick you up to make you stand out from the rest. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know about LinkedIn. I didn't know, you know, until I got into like TAPS and everything else. But to me, TAPS is a joke. That transition program was garbage. You know what I'm saying? You can't, uh, for, I don't expect any soldier, any airman, any Marine to go into TAPS for a week and be sitting there dealing with so much information <laughs> and, and expect to leave that bitch saying, oh, yeah, I know what to do. Right, Hell right. no. That's, they, that's, that's why if you talk to a lot of people that said they did TAPS, they did it like three or four times. Because that one week of, of just sitting there and listening... To me, honestly, Mike, when I said that, I was like, this is not good. Like, I'm not, I'm not gaining anything from this. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? Everything that I did on my way out the door was me talking to people that were doing the same process. Mm. You know, the people that retired before me, hey, what'd you do? How'd you start your disability claims? How'd you started doing this? How'd you started looking for work? What sites were you going to look for work? You know, what, what would all the other uh, means and resources that you were using because TAPS was a joke, man. And I know a lot of people that either separate or, or go through it is they probably could say the same thing that TAPS is, is not useful. It really yeah. isn't. If they're going to make it useful, they need to make it longer. Because oh, yeah. there is no way to bombard me with so much information in a week and expect me to leave that place and be like, oh, yeah, this shit was good, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Hey, well, well, not only that, though, but what what i fucking find hilarious about taps though is you know when you're when we're talking about your your couple weeks out the door you're not worried about anything else but pcsing fin like getting your last eprs you know whatever awards done for your people and and you're trying to transition yourself and then they're like hey we're going to put you in this program for a week or two weeks you're going to dress in civilian clothes and you try to feel like it's like but everybody that's teaching the class is either working for the federal government, so they're not really away, they're not civilian lives, or they're military people or, you know, spouses. So there's no one sitting there saying like, hey, man, I work at fucking McDonald's down the street. Like, this shit is going to fucking kick you in the balls. And that to me is my biggest complaint about it. I think it's a great program. The intent is good, but, you know, all the training we've done, you can tell they don't have a priority in that because you're out the door. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. And 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 unfortunately, that door is a revolving door, you mm -hmm. know, because all of us that sat there and we know we're, we're transitioning out. The Air Force already replaced us. Yep. You know what I'm saying they already filled our position. They already filled the superintendent position. They already filled the NCIC position. That shit's already done. So for the Air Force, it's like, thank you for your years. And, <laughs> and, and, and I appreciate the time and effort that you put in for the mission, and everything else. But this is all we could do for you. Yeah. You know, our, hand, our hands are done. We're washing our hands with you because you're no longer a soldier no more. You're no longer an airman no more. You know, now it's time for you to go figure it out. You're right. The intent, the intent I get it. But something needs to change. Yeah. Because a week of just sitting there, that's too much. Especially when you have, let's say, a, 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 an airman that is getting out in four years is sitting through that class. They're going to be like, what is this? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is all this that you're telling me to do? What is what is this? What is VA? What yeah. is, you know, this that, how to get job, USA jobs, LinkedIn, what is they they don't have no comprehension of any of that stuff because they yeah. don't really have that much life experience, you know? But yet you're putting them into this cut because it's a requirement. 
You know, you have to do it before you can out process. Right. And and it and it sucks that it gets treated that way because you would think it would be reversed. You would think that those that are stepping out the door that gave you their committed time of years of service, you would probably want to take care of more of them. Because eventually someday those guys might be coming back to work for you. You know right. what I'm saying? Especially now, the Air Force has transitioned to a lot of civilian positions. Deployment managers are civilian positions. Command post chiefs are becoming civilian positions. Comm, communications are becoming civilian positions. You know what I'm saying? But yet you're going to tell these these people who are separate retiring, hey, I see you later. But then when they need a job and everything else, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll take you back. You know what I'm saying? To me, I feel like you would take care of them more as they're getting out the door just to make the transition easy for them. So that way they don't have a bad taste in their mouth to be like, damn, this is how the fucking Air Force did me. Yeah. Like, I gave you 20 years and you just, like, see you later. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I think they just need to revise that and, and, and take that into uh, consideration to try to make the transition a little bit, you know, more appreciative for those that have done their time for you and, and sacrificed their, their livelihood for, for the Air Force and then make the transition easy for them. But, yeah, I mean, go ahead, man. Now to say, like, I mean, that's true. Like, there, there's nothing, you know. And I, I was a, I was very bitter when I got out because, just like you're talking, you find out really fast all the times you sacrificed. They don't care, and you know, I mean, and like, and and I get it too. Like the new guy coming in, he's he's still in it 100. percent So he's he don't care you're leaving. He just knows he got a new spot and it's a new EPR bullet. Like da da da. da. It's it's a new stepping stone. But yeah, man, it's it's. I think that is one of the biggest heartbreaks. And, and like I said, for me personally, I still haven't gotten over it. So for, for you being out and doing that, you know, when you decided, like, did you, A, did you decide to retire or was it something that was forced upon you? So for me, by the time I already had in my mindset that I was going to do 20 and out, I just, once I hit my 10 year mark, I was like, I'm in it for the long haul. There was, there was no changing that. Well, I take that back. When I was stationed in Turkey, I had a chief, an E9. Oh man, you know I'm I'm a big I'm a big proponent of people make the place, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could be I could be out of all of my duty stations I've been to, I enjoyed them all because of the people that I met there, the friendships I created there, the people, some of the people that I worked with, and everything else. To me, I'm a big proponent of the people make the place. Everybody says, oh, you, 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 you make of, you know, you, whatever, whatever place you go to is what you make of it. Yeah, in, in, a, in a sense, that is true, but it's also the people that are involved in it that also make the place. So <clears throat> at the time, I had a great team. Like uh, the people that I work with, as far as who were the command post controllers, were great. They were good people. Here comes this E8 who PCS from Oklahoma. And he made chief there. He became an E9. And, you know, in, co- in the command post world, for those that are not familiar, we're 24-7 operations. You can't sleep. There is no, like, you know, you have to be on alert because of the classified stuff we deal with. Where We got to be on our toes all the time. And have in binders Turkey, for days. And have binders for days. <laughs> and in Turkey, it was one of those locations because of the assets that we had there. We had to be on point. Uh, the classified side of the house of command and control was always nonstop. So you you have what they call two-person control. You and another controller, you had to be on your game to know 
step one, step two, step three, step four, and so on and so forth. So I made senior controller at the time, and uh, they put me to work shift with this chief. It's a Tuesday day shift. Our day shifts were from like 6.45 a.m. to 6.45 p.m. It's around noontime, and it's quiet, and I look over, and the chief has his feet on the console, and he's sleeping. He's sleeping. Here comes my command post chief, who's a lieutenant colonel, walks in, sees him, and walks out. <laughs> now, if that was me, I would have been done. If that was me that was sleeping on console, that lieutenant colonel would have reamed my ass. I would have been, he would have been looking for ways for me to get separated. You know what I'm saying? And here's this chief, because he's a chief, it's okay for him to sleep. That shit hurt. And then he comes out and he says, man, I didn't make chief to be working 12-hour shifts. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, first of all, chief, I've said, number one, you're a certified controller. That's your that's your role. That's your duty title. It doesn't matter that you're E9. The fact is that you're a certified controller just like all of us. So you have to you have to work shifts. Or oh, I didn't make chief to work shifts. I shouldn't be working 12s. And I'm saying to myself, man, thank God there's no young airman here to hear mm. that coming from E9's mouth. You know what I'm saying? But slowly Turkey had me to the point where I was saying to myself, if this is the leadership of the Air Force now, I'm done. Like yeah. I really, I really wasn't wanting to continue on because I was like, I can't deal with this. Every day was a gripe and a complaint that why is he a chief and he's doing this. Mm. So we would have we would have to take closed book tests for the command post where headquarters will come and inspect us. And if you failed that closed book test, you got decertified. Tell me why the lieutenant colonel put the chief on leave so he doesn't take the chance of failing. I was seeing all this and I was like, this, how is this happening? You know, I came from Vegas where Vegas was great. You know what I'm saying? I had good leadership, the camaraderie, the unity and everything else. And I come to fucking Turkey and I'm dealing with a lieutenant colonel covering up for E9 so he doesn't fail because he's an E9 and an E9 sleeping on shift. Whereas if A1C senior airman or myself, a staff sergeant would have been caught sleeping, would have been fucked. Mm. I was like, what is going on right now? Like this you know it's close man i was close to saying fuck it i'm done <laughs> this was like 11 years i was like i can't deal with this shit because if this is how it's gonna be what if i go to my next base and so on mm. and i think i still had I, this was a, a 15 month short tour and i was only four months into it and i'm mm. seeing this and i'm like i gotta pull out 11 more months of this shit crazy i don't think i could do it but mm. I got a, I got an assignment to Honduras, and I was like, I'm good, let's go. But, yeah, once yeah. I hit my 10 years, man, the next day, I knew I was in it for the long haul. Mm. But I sort of, at my 16-year mark, I started planning everything out for myself. I started saying, okay, I'm getting close to retirement. I'm getting close to that point where I need to get out the door. Israel, you need to start doing you. So I started getting my resumes ready. You know, I started doing the LinkedIn. I started, you know, just doing whatever I could to start enhancing my, my background, my resume and everything else. So when I transition out, I'm ready to go. But I was looking at where I want to live. I, like I told you, I was already thinking about going overseas because I already knew friends there. I already had a plan to go settle overseas with them, live with them until I get on my feet. Like I already had things in motion from you know to prepare for myself for the transition, and then 
once I got to Oklahoma after Honduras, I put it for base of preference. I've never done a base of preference before. So base of preference is, you know, you get to pick an installation where you want to go to based off your choice. So because I did two back-to-back short tours, the Air Force said, we got you where you want to go. So I put Jersey. Lo and behold, I got it. And that made it even easier for me to transition out because Florida was right down the block. It's not like I had to fly from Hawaii to go to try to get to Florida, you know? So even during my time in Jersey, I got put into a contingency wing where now I'm doing humanitarian aid, natural disaster reliefs, and everything. Now I'm helping people. You know, I was a deployment man. I was taken out of my element of command post, and I was put as a deployment manager, but I was helping teams go out. We did uh, did Hurricane Maria, Puerto Rico support. We were sending people to Florida. Like... You saw your, your decisions and actions being rewarded because of what they were doing, the resources that you were providing for these people. Plus, in being in that unit, it gave me more skills. It, it buffed up my resume again because now I got humanitarian aid, natural disaster relief under my belt. You know, I, I coordinated the movement of all these resources, these pallets, these people and everything else. Now I'm, I'm, I'm being recognized by colonels. You know, I'm getting coined here and there. You know, now all of a sudden I have colonel friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, Izzy, whatever you need, you let us know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now I went into my LinkedIn and I'm connecting with these colonels. And, and now that enhances my, my background even more. Because right. I got these top wigs that could that could uh, vouch for me, you know, that give me character references. Dude, I'm probably the only E6 that you will ever meet that actually got retired by a two-star general. <laughs> just because that general was my friend, you know what I'm saying? Because I did good di- things for him when I was deployed on one of my deployments. He was my commander and Diego Garcia. But for me, it was like, I already told myself, I'm, I'm done. After 20 years, I'm done. I looked in the mirror and I said, Izzy, you're done? And Izzy said, we're done, man. Mm. We're, we, we, we did everything we wanted to set out to do. You know, we're right now, even in, in, the, in the last two years that I was in Jersey, I was on the high horse. You know, I was I was sort of the go-to guy. I was the I was the guy that the colonels would call and be like, "Hey, uh, starting to buy you there? Can we talk to him?" You know, I was I was on the high pedestal, and that's how I wanted to end it. I wanted to end it my career riding the white horse out, man. Just just leave it on a high note. So my my boss at the time comes up to me and she goes, "Oh, did you know that you could do two more years waiver? You could go over your high year tenure if you sign this waiver." I was like, you fucking crazy. <laughs> because the thing is, I didn't know what those two years would have brought. Next thing yeah. you know, I'm doing that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm going down here. Now Izzy, they just want him out. They don't they yeah. don't care that he's retired. They just want Izzy out. And I was like, nope. And I was like, we're good. I'm going to on this high horse. And I did. So, so it wasn't forced upon me. It was my decision. I'm, I'm thankful for it. So, so even though you made the decision... You know, after you made the decision and then you're going through these seven months, was those seven months part of kind of like a heartbreak or kind of sadness that you it was over with? Um, a little bit was, um, again, it, it wasn't so much. I honestly, I loved my job. I love command posts. I love what, you know, what we did and everything else, because I felt like I was serving a purpose. And, you, you know, all the decisions that I made as the senior controller all the actions that we took and everything, like, we literally, we saved lives. You know what I'm saying? Whenever aircrafts call in flight emergency, ground emergencies, you know, it was up to me and the command post to make sure that we got the people 
there on time to be able to make sure that everything was okay. You know, we had so many suicide notifications. Without us making the phone calls to coordinate the actions for that, who knows what could have happened. You know what I'm saying? We have so many sexual assault notifications. And without the command post doing their, their piece, who knows if that person would have been having the care that they needed. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I love that. I love being the decision maker. I love being able to see the reward for the after, after the fact uh, situations and everything else. So when I got out, like honestly, that the, the work and the people is what I miss the most. Because I, I, I made so many friendships. I mean, honestly, my I still keep in touch with people from 1998 that I first met <laughs> in Germany. Man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still keep in touch with them. For me, my philosophy was anytime I met people and I created a friendship or a bond with them, I knew you for the rest of your life. I wasn't one of those that it was just, oh, we just knew each other in, in Oklahoma and that was it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look at you and I. Yeah, we met in Honduras, but here we are. You know, yeah. several years later, still able to communicate and everything. So that was my philosophy was all the time. And that's really what I missed the most was the people, man. Like right. the last two years in Jersey, I had such a great group of deployment managers that we did everything together. Like we were literally a family. And I tell you how close we were. And, and, and I don't know if you could probably share the same. So I'm the lead deployment manager. I'm in charge of the shop. Even though I got a superintendent and everything else, but I'm like the NCOIC of the, of the unit deployment management office, right? On the weekends, we would have to be on standby for in case, you know, when hurricane season happened in Florida or if something happened with earthquakes or whatever the case may be, we always had to be on standby. I will always take the phone because I'm the lead deployment manager. So something popped off to where I needed to come back to work. So we got a tasking to where we had to get a bunch of, of, of soldiers together, airmen together. We had to create a team and we had to make sure their, their deployment folders were good, their training was good and everything else. So I send out a text to my, my deployment managers and I say, hey, guys, don't worry about it, but I'm going into the office. We just got a tasking. I'll take care of it. But if anybody asks, this is the situation, what's going on? I go into the office, dude. It's only like a, a four-man team, easy stuff. Look through their folders, review it, because we always make sure their folders were up to date. Tell me why as I'm sitting there, the door into my office is opening with the rest of my deployment managers. They didn't have to come in, you know what I'm saying? But they saw it as, if you're doing it, we're doing it. Mm. There is no just one person in this. There is not just because your, your duty title is the lead deployment manager that you have to deal with the work yourself. No, we're a team. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I miss. The work and the people is really what I felt heartbroken about because I didn't have that no more. I would sit here in my house watching TV and saying to myself, man, I wonder what so-and-so is doing right now. Or I wonder what this person is dealing with right now. Or wonder what is going on over here since I left. You know what I'm saying? I started, I really missed that, that, that camaraderie, that unity to where I, I don't know, I, I sat at home and I was like, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what purpose am I serving now? I'm not a, I'm not a tech sergeant no more. I'm not in, a supervisor no more. I'm not in charge of any programs. You know what I'm saying? The colonels are now calling somebody else to answer their yeah. questions. I'm like, what the fuck? 
You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, it was, I don't know. It was, it, it was tough at the beginning, but at the same time, it was like I had to remind myself that, dude, you, you did your time. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you have to let it go some, eventually. And I don't mean let it go, like, forget about it. But I had a I had a break away from knowing that I can't I can't be that person no more, and yeah. I had to uh, I had to learn to adjust to that because what the military Izzy was is not what civilian Izzy is now. You know what I'm saying? And I had a, I had to sort of break away from that that person because it was like now don't get me wrong I still keep in touch with my friends I ask them how they're doing if they need any NCO advice or any supervisory <laughs> advice yeah. and I'm still there. Them. And I'm grateful that some of them actually have do still call me for advice, and I feel good because I'm like, all right, I'm still in the mix. Right, right. I'm, I'm still I'm involved, helping <clears throat> helping my 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 airmen out and everything else. And and you know I I'm grateful too that in one aspect, my ultimate goal, honestly, as a leader and as a supervisor, I always wanted to reach that 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 title of mentor. For me. It, it, you know, it saddens me today that there's a lot of young folks that they don't have that. They don't have somebody that they could call upon at any moment and be like, hey, I need your help. Or, hey, can I get your advice? You know, they don't have those mentors anymore. And I'm grateful that I, I have few friends that I consider mentors. But I set out to make myself, when I made NCO and when I became a supervisor and leader, that I wanted to be that for the people. I wanted to be that that person that they could rely on any time. It didn't matter, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and I'm grateful that I have, you know, I, I have friends that actually say that that I'm that to them, and and until this day, I still get the calls like, "Hey, man, I got this problem with this airman. What do you think?" And I'm grateful for that, man. You know that I was able to at least, even though I was I was separating, I was able to leave an impression. I was able yeah. to leave a footnote and to know that, you know can still count on me you can still rely on me and everything else besides just trying to deal with it yourself right you know? I, I know for me um i actually learned leadership when i got out because i was a complete opposite nco man i was and, and i hate to say it and, and i'm it, it sucks that i have to say this though i was a shitty supervisor because i honestly didn't give a fine fuck about the people i cared about the mission and so for me it was always work 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 and if you couldn't do the job no more, then I'm, I'm done with you. I needed the work to get done. And th- I mean, it sucks because there's some people that are, you know, they became NCOs and I became that person that they had to use as an example of what they didn't like. And some of them don't talk to me now because, and I get it. And, and, um, and the reason why is actually when I was a, I was a Kadena and I was working as a civilian then. And so one of my old troops came back and he's like, you're different. And it's like, yeah, man, you ha- you have to learn the the things I did was not good. That was not good at all, you know. And and it took me actually learning leadership and not assuming leadership. I actually had to, you know, use that as a skill set. And you know, I told him I was like, for me, the the founding thing for me on leadership is legit giving a fuck. And I and I, I said it so aggressive that way because mm-hmm. it has to be that simple for me. And. You know, it, it's it's night and day what I had to learn because I thought, you know, I'm in charge or that's how I was taught foot to ass. If you don't act right, we put a foot in your ass and you act right. But what I later found out was that's for me. I respond very well to that type of leadership. And what I what I had to realize was, you know, the cookie coder approach is not the, the right way to do business. There's some people if you if you put in like what you're talking about, they can do amazing things because they have that right leadership. But the moment you do foot to ass them, they shut down. 
and they never access that real potential. Yeah, I mean, I I've had I've had leadership that I used to call like pingers. You know, they will ping at every little situation, or they micromanage and everything else. But one thing I had to learn, and 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 you know, I became a staff sergeant early. I think I made staff like in three four years. So I was a young NCO when I first started out. And I didn't really know how to lead because I, to me, I feel like that comes with experience. You know, mm. you, need to, you need to have those trial and errors in order for you to grow and mature. And at the time when I made staff, I was 21, 22. So I was still thinking about going out, drinking, clubbing and everything else. Like, yeah, I, I took care of my airmen because that's what the paperwork told me to do. You know right. what I'm saying? I made sure I dotted my I's and crossed my T's, but I didn't know any better. And I and again, I think the salvation for me was because I had I had that experience that I was able to go to those people and talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying a lot of times, like you know, people in your in your situation where their leadership bro is fucking boots to asses, they don't. I feel like some of them don't have that outside person to to be able to talk to. You know, what mm-hmm. I'm saying like to be able to to sit you down and say, hey, man. You know, the way you're doing things, maybe you should take a different approach. You know, maybe you should try doing this. Maybe you should try doing that. Unfortunately, yeah. some, some people don't have that outside perspective to give them to let them know, hey, these are the, the wrongs and rights that you're doing. Yeah. I was fortunate that I did. I, I was fortunate throughout my career. I've had people watching over me all the time, you know, taking care of me, basically giving me advice, you know, telling me if I fuck up, I fuck up, you know, mm. being you know that real talk and everything else. Give you an example. I was stationed in Vegas back in 2000, from 2005 to 2008. Right, Nellis Air Force Base in Vegas. Everybody knows Vegas Sin City. That place, you know, you go there. It's for you to fucking party hard. You know, spend money, gamble, do whatever you're gonna do. At the time, I was the NTOIC of training. My superintendent at the time was one of my good friends who I met back when I was in California, back from like 19, from 2000 to 2005. I actually trained him in command post duties because he cross-trained from medical into command post. So come full circle, he's now my superintendent. We're, we're mad, cool, and everything else, but I knew how to differentiate those boundaries. You know, mm. off-duty is off-duty, on-duty is on duty, you know what I'm saying? Like on du- on duty, I'm not calling you David. I'm calling you, you know, Sergeant so and so and so and so forth. Off duty is different. Like if we're around other workers, I I just keep it sir. I won't even say David. You know what I'm saying? But I knew how to separate those boundaries. So there was one incident. <clears throat> I went out. I I I was stupid. I had too much to drink, and I got popped for DUI. So I got I got arrested for 72 hours. Um, my supervisor came, picked me up out of the holding cell and everything else. So I was, I thought I was done. I thought this is it. I'm fucking, it's over for me. I fucking was stupid. I I did a stupid thing and everything else. I wasn't thinking or whatnot. And let me tell you, my superintendent, not only because he, he was my friend, but because he knew the type of NCO I was, the work ethic I had, you know, how I was as a training manager, how I was with the other airmen, the other controllers and everything else. This dude fought for me. This guy went to bat with leadership and said, we're not kicking him out. 
we need to give him another chance because of A, B, and C. Like, this guy was able to put out my records and say, this is why we need to keep him in the Air Force. This is why he will still be an asset to the Air Force. And this is why he still has the potential to be something more in the Air Force. And let me tell you, they, they, uh, I got, you know, driving privileges revoked. I didn't lose a stripe or anything like that. Um, I almost lost my assignment to Turkey, but the commander still signed me off, you know, because being on PRP, that personal reliability part, you need to be mentally there and everything else. So they could easily saw as this DUI as a trauma or anything like that, where I couldn't be capable of handling what was going on in Turkey. But this guy went to bat for me, man. And I, you know, I changed my ways from there on out, meaning that I don't drink or drive, but I was like, the fact that he took the time to fight for me. You know, in, in, in the military, no matter what branch you're in, you could be the fucking superstar. But that one mistake you make, you're, to me, I feel like you're done. There's a target on your mm. back from there on out. You know what I'm saying? Like, none of the accolades would match up to that one error you make. And the fact that mine was a DUI was really bad. Really, mm. really bad. But at the same token, he was able to show that, yeah, even though he made this mistake, his his accolades, who he is as a person, his character and everything else is speaks out more than just that mistake. And and I mean, it was to a point when I was sitting in the chief's office, the group chief's office, he was telling me, give me your driver's license. I got I'm fearing for my child because I know there's people like you on the road that might kill them. And I was sitting there like, yo, he made me feel like shit. And I'm sitting there like, wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, this guy is really telling me that I'm going to kill his kid? That I, I'm, I'm a presence that I shouldn't be on the road because I, I might be a murderer or something? You know what I'm saying? Like, And, and my, my, my superintendent is sitting there. And first, they told the chief, you can't take his license. That's illegal. You can't. <laughs> You can't do that. But at the same time, you know, once I stepped outside after he chewed my ass, my superintendent would, you know, I don't know what he said. I wish I was in the room, but I wasn't. But the thing I know is, like, this is all that's going to happen to you. But mm-hmm. the, the, the main concern was, am I staying in the Air Force? Right. And that was, to me, that was what really, really got me because I didn't, I didn't want to go home as an embarrassment. I didn't want to mm-hmm. go home and telling people, oh, I got kicked out because I was fucking drinking and driving like an idiot. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I was blessed, man, that he he came out and did that for me. But again, it's he did it because of who I was. You mm. know what I'm saying? Like the NCO I was trying to be and everything else. But I was fortunate that I had people like that to be able to go to. Right. Unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of people who get in the leadership role, they don't have that. Mm. They don't have those mentors. They don't have those outside perspectives. <clears throat> perceptions that they could try to call on or latch on to be like hey you know is this right am i doing am i doing this right you know what i'm saying yeah. for, for you to try to figure out on your own how it is that's tough man because yeah. who says who's a right leader yeah you know what i'm saying leadership is not is not a thing that's written in books even though there's many books about leadership but it's all from people's opinions or their their perspective on how leaders should be right but who's to say who's a right leader was that E9 who was sleeping on console, who was telling me, oh, I shouldn't be working 12 because I'm a chief? Is that a right leader? 
or is the right leader the my superintendent who fought for me because I got a DUI and he knew don't get yeah. rid of this control. You know what I'm saying? So I I I'm I'm a big person in where I don't believe there's bad supervisors. I just believe that there are those supervisors that teach you how not to be like them. Yeah. So if I if you were my supervisor and you were always boots to asses and I'm your troop and I don't care for that, I'm not going to look at you and be like, damn, what a fucking douchebag this guy is. I'm going to look at it and say, okay, wait, when I become a sergeant or I become a tech or a master, I can't <clears> be like that. Yeah. Because I'm seeing how his audience is reacting negatively to right. it. You know what I'm saying? So I know I'm going to take that, put it into my leadership toolkit and say to myself, I know when I get in that position, I'm not going to be like that guy. Yeah. Like, uh, so we met, uh, so I deployed and you were there in 2010, right? Mm -hmm. So after I left Honduras, uh, I came back and I was at in Japan. And so I'm the senior airman and there's an E5 and there's an E7, E8. Well, the E5, my boss deploys, I think to Kyrgyzstan. And then the E7 deploys to Iraq. So yeah. now there's the E8, who's a superintendent, and me. Now the buck stops at me. So, you know, I'm the E4, barely brand new, right. you know. And then when we're in Honduras, I'm a little brother. You know, everyone's helping me out. I'm, I'm just, you know, hey, take out the trash. Or I still show that plaque, by the way, because it always has to represent, <laughs> like, the relationship, yeah, yeah. right? I'm a little brother, yeah. you know, in that sense. And so that happens. Well, in 2000, and so I get, I become a golden boy in that sense because, I'm an E4 taking care of a shop at a, at a heavy operational base. And I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing that. In 2011, my mom gets sick. Um, she, I forgot what the disease was, like lost her memory, can't walk, can't do all this shit. I'm in Japan. Uh, my best friend dies in a motorcycle accident. And what I do is drink. I just start drinking nonstop. And because I had such a good reputation, no one did anything to me. So I'm showing, I don't, I don't show up to PT no more. I'm not, I can't even show up. I, I literally tried for a year and a half to show up on time to work and could not do that. Cause I was just so fucked up and I saw it the other way. They let me do this, but because of my reputation, in my opinion, I don't know, in my opinion, it was so good that they left me alone that I was begging for help. Like, yo man, I need fucking help right now. Cause I am fucking up on a major level. I'm drinking. It's two o'clock. And it's a Tuesday night. I know I got PT in the morning and I'm still drinking to like 3.30 in the morning trying to wake up and go to PT. And then they're saying, I'd rather get in trouble for not showing up because I'm going to pop. And I don't even have the clear mindset to sit there and say, maybe you shouldn't fucking drink. I'm just trying to drink away praying because that's all I know how to do at that moment. And so, you know, I had it the other way where it's like nobody fought for me in that sense. I mean, there, I've had other situations where, you know, go to bat for me. I did lose my license in Japan because they can take your license, by the way. But uh, <laughs> since they gave you a little card, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I had someone, I had someone fight for me, which I still talk to this day. But at that time, you know, in 2011, you know, and that I'm an NCO now, so it's like probably 2012 or whatever. And so I'm an NCO, and I'm taking care of work, and work's still getting done, but I'm getting maybe two hours of sleep a night. I'm living off of Red Bulls. I'm divorced at the time, so I was going through a divorce. Mother's sick. My best friend died, and I'm drinking nonstop. You know, what I mean, it, it's like I'm in a, a downward spiral and because people left me alone, I mean, that's probably why I got out honorable, you know, what I mean, because it's either it was going to be a DUI or, you know, failure duty or whatever bullshit there was because I was fucking up at a major level, but work was still getting done. So nobody really, you know, no one interviewed, right. no one, no one sit there and asked me like, are you OK? Like, Are you fucking, you know, what I mean, it, yeah. that's, you know, how like, he talked about. 
starting off with how are you doing i probably would have told him i'm fine but i mean fuck man like i don't know but i know internally i was begging for help like please man i'm yeah. fucking going crazy here and i'm gonna take down my career because i don't know how to stop this shit and all i'm doing is drinking and so and i'm working three jobs you know so i'm working military get off of that go to macaroni grill and then go and be a bouncer and so and i'm not sleeping i'm not and i'm drinking and, and you know it's yeah. it's one of the ones where it's like i'm glad i'm still in you know that when i look at that honorable i'm like man that honorable comes with like a lot of like stuff that got really swept under the rug because people just didn't really give a fuck about what i was doing after work you know yeah yeah and i and i and, and i think honestly that it's a it's a two-way street man you know communication needs to go both ways like you said you were you were keeping it internally and if they would ask you how you were doing you would have said i was good just to sort of cover yourself, you know, yeah. and then you have, then you have, you have the the leadership people that they probably do see it, but they just don't want to deal with it. Right. They don't want, they don't want to get involved or or deal with what comes with having to write you up, having to reprimand, having to do the paperwork for it. So they figure just just let it be. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like if that's the way this person's going to deal with it. Then so be it. And unfortunately, there are a lot of there are a lot of people in the military, even unto this day, that do that. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like they they just <clears throat> put the the blinders on and don't even want to focus on that. That's why a lot of times there, and I told you this is there were times where I wouldn't even go. I couldn't talk to my supervisor because my supervisor didn't know me. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? They didn't even try to take the time to to know who I was. To, to find out anything about me, see how I was doing. The only time me and my supervisors would talk was during the feedback time. You know what mm. I'm saying? Because that's what's mandatory. We needed right, right. to do that. You know what I'm saying? So any personal issues or demons that I was dealing with, I had to go outside. Mm. I had to talk to, to my boy V because, you know, he would understand. You know what I'm saying? But I had to look for that. I couldn't just be internally inside my house trying to deal with everything that's going on, I couldn't do it because I knew eventually I was going to explode. Right. I knew eventually my coping mechanisms were going to be, like you said, drinking. Or probably it could have been much worse. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it takes a two-way communication for me. I feel like if I see it, me personally, I'm going to approach it. Because that's how the old school supervisors that I had back in 98, that's how they would treat me. You know what I'm saying? If they saw me quiet on console because they know I'm like a talker, something's wrong with Izzy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Even little things like that, minuscule shit like that, they would be like, okay, Izzy, what's the matter? What's wrong? Nowadays, if you're a talker and you're not talking in console, we're saying to us, oh, thank God, John's not talking today. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah, I'm yeah. saying? Like, we don't have to hear his fucking mouth. And that's wrong, man. You know, a lot of a lot of these new supervisors coming up, a lot of these new leaders coming up, one to me, I feel like they're getting promoted way too early. So they don't have no fucking experience to come with their background. So when they see that John isn't talking at work, they don't question it. You know what I'm saying? But then at the same time, if something's bothering John for him not talking to work, he needs to speak up. Whether yeah. it's to your supervisor or it's to your fucking doormate, you need to say something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, and that's one thing for the, the, the listeners, the veterans that are listening, everybody else is you got to talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't hold my tongue. If I feel like something's bothering me, I'm going to express it. Whether yeah. it's to my family or to my boys, to you, anybody that I could call to say, hey, that I know is willing to pick up the phone and listen, then I'm going to fucking do it, man. Because yeah. what am I going to gain from doing it by myself? 
Because all I'm doing is just giving myself things that I want to hear. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking in the mirror, and the mirror's looking at me like, yeah, man, just have another shot. <laughs> just have yeah. another drink. Or go out, dude. Go out. Go, go fucking burn it off, man. You know what I'm saying? You just need to have some drinks at the bar. Go call up your boy and, and get some fucking drinks. Get hammered. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Of course my reflection is going to tell me that because that's what I want to hear. But I bet you if I called you, V, or somebody else to be like, yo, man, this is what I got. You're going to be like, okay, man, be careful. Do this, do that. You ain't going to tell me, dude, go get fucking wasted. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when the DUI happened to me, my leadership turned their fucking backs. Nobody gave a fuck about Izzy besides my superintendent and my boys from work. My mm-hmm. controllers from work, my little, my little shop at work cared about me. They wanted to make sure I was doing better. You know what is that? That you can't drive to work no more? So I'm living in an apartment off base. I'm now having to rely on my controllers to come pick me up that I'm working with. I'm out of their way to give me a ride so I can make it to work on time. Do I felt so shitty, but they did that for me. You yeah. think Colonel so-and-so who just chewed my ass was going to give me rides to work? Or try to find a way to get me rights to work? Hell no. Did my first sergeant can't? Hell no. They all looked at it like, you fucked up, deal with it, bro. Right. But again, I had to speak up to say, hey, guys, I need help. Can you guys help me? You know what I'm yeah. saying? But I knew who to go to for that. And unfortunately, again, it has to come two ways. Because that first sergeant, that colonel, that chief, they weren't going to ask me how you're doing today. I yeah. think when, whenever I walked by that chief, when he would come into the command post for the commander's staff meeting, dirty looks that motherfucker gave me because I was a fucker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even though I will still be tactful, hey, chief, how's it going, chief, this and that, just keep on walking. Got it. I yeah. could have let easy let that shit fuck me and be like, you know what, fuck him, this and that. But no, I, I, I'm not going to waste my time on that. It was a mistake. It is what it is. But again... It's a two-way communication for me, and and you have to speak up. You have to say something. I can't see. I can't see how anybody can hold that in. Like when I listen to your story, I can't see how you ha- were able to hold all that stuff inside of you mm. and just let it sort load to oh, where yeah. you ran into mad walls, mad barriers at times, and for what? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and so, <clears throat> well, speaking on that. You know, I like to bring it to the present time. Do you feel like what? So are you currently doing that program still? Which program? That CARES program? Oh, no, no, no. The care, yeah, the care program, no. I stopped because um, when I transferred over to a new college, okay. the workload was it was just getting too overwhelming for me. So, so, so is that be- something that you're looking at doing? Like, you know what I mean? It, it, do you think that is something that is your calling? Yeah, mm-hmm. I... I you know, it's funny that you say that because people have told me, like, they could see me being a teacher, you know, they could, because I, 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 I don't know, for me, I just felt like I see the young and I always want to try to make them better if I can, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And, and I do that because I had it done for me. You know, yeah. I had, I had, I had these older rank supervisors looking out for me. So why not do that for those, you know, for others? You know what I'm saying? And even though they were just students, but I could I could relate to, you know, the, the what they were going through because I was a student myself, you know? Yeah. So the bombardment of exams, you know, the 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 stresses, oh my God, am I gonna pass this test? Or oh my god, I don't like the way this professor is teaching this course. You know, for me it was like 
I, I was able to relate to that because I had that going on with me as well. But then I said to myself, I can help you with this because I'm, I'm coming with experience. I'm coming with life lessons that even though it's not related, my life lessons don't really deal with all involving school, but they can all, you can take it as you want it to where it still can help dealing with what you're dealing with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, I dealt with stress. You were dealing with stress. I dealt with stress, and I dealt with stress in A, B, C. Even though it was a school related, but I dealt with stress in in, right. in this in this way. You know, so I was able to reciprocate that to them, and they appreciated that. You don't know how many of these students would look at me and just say, "Thank you for talking to me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening." You know what I'm saying? And 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 on to this day, the the program director, I still keep in touch with him. And who knows, maybe if, if after I graduate this year and everything else, who knows, maybe I might be like, hey, man, can I come back yeah. as a full-time, you know, and, and help you out with that? Because these kids are impressionable, man. And oh, they're, yeah. easily, they're easily molded and everything else. And it's like when stress hits for them, it's like it's the end of the world. Yeah. And I'm like, you well, don't even, you don't even know. <laughs> well, that, you know, that like, that's a conversation my wife and I have, you know, like my seven-year-old, my youngest, which you met, and I, I was telling my wife about, how you were able to entertain her. So that speaks to a child in you, um, <laughs> you know, but, but no, I mean, you know, but it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about, I'm like for her, she's seven years old. So she doesn't get a toy. That is her whole world. And, and it, it's hard to relate, you know, especially since, you know, you coming from a different background, you know, you're 1998. So you are a different generation for sure. But also you're in a different generation of the military where it wasn't, Hey man, how are you doing today? Right? It's like the mission came first, and you will leave. The t- and it's still kind of like that too. Like you will leave, and th- that's all you. So going forward with that, man, I, I, you know, it's it's one of the ones where I think that is a big part of the veteran issue right now. Is you know, it, and because you said it earlier too as well, and I feel the same way. Your job told you where you fit in. You do this, you do this, and this, and it's like it didn't matter who you were. You know, because I was told if you don't do this paperwork right, this means this, this and that. And this means planes can't meet the you know bombs on target. And it's like, hey, you're like, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of bullshit. But it gets so hit in your head where you're like, if I don't do these things right, you're right. This doesn't get done, et cetera. And so what I see with veterans now is that point. They have nothing else to go from because you're in school for what? You know, what I mean, you have to kind of figure out yourself. And, you know, and as you're seeing yourself, you're, you're nearing towards the end. And then it's like, what's next? You know, you, you have a task at hand. Well, what's the next task? And so when I hear you talk about it and see that light in your eyes, when it's actually talking about helping people, and that's the crazy part. It's just helping kids who need help. It has nothing to do with are they rich, are they poor, or any of that stuff. It's just because you have all this experience. And what do you do with it? You know what I mean? Like, do you waste it? And do you just sit there and kind of sit in a rocking chair and let the world burn? Or do you try to make it a better place, right? So, you know... You talking about being a teacher. I mean, is that something that, you know, even though you have this degree and let's say you can go to FEMA and do all these great things because you are retired and you do get money. Is that something where you've looked at and said, the money's not the issue. I want fulfillment in life. Yeah, I've always I've always been key on what's what's my purpose. You know, like if what I'm going to do is what's the purpose that it's going to serve? Is there a reward that comes from it? And when I mean a reward, I don't mean monetary. I mean, like satisfaction from people you know them them like i like i told you you know i got emails from the students telling me thank you so much for your help 
that's my reward. You know what I'm saying? To see that they they passed the class, that they passed the course, and now they're able to go and graduate. They're able to go and walk the stage because of the impact I made on helping them get through this course. And for me, that's that's how I always try to engage with anything that I try to do. Is what's what's my purpose in this? Is there going to be a reward from it? For me, the reason why I always wanted to do like emergency management, besides the fact that I did in the Air Force, was because the reward from it. You know what is that? That you're helping countries, you're helping states, you're helping these citizens that don't have shit or that are suffering from these from these earthquakes, these tsunamis, whatever the case may be. And it's your impact, your your actions, your purpose that you are filling in that position is helping these people out. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So if I can do teaching to where I can help these students and 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 help them develop to be better individuals and better persons on themselves, why not take that into like a grander stage, like you said in FEMA, and be able to do that with the world? You know what I'm saying? And that was my mindset. It was like I wanted to be female because I wanted to continue being able to to help those that need it. Not just right. in the United States, but I wanted to do it worldwide. That's why another reason was why I wanted to go live overseas because I wanted to do something different, but help try to help the world. Like United States, we're great. I feel like the United States is covered, is taken care of, and everything else. But if you look at the other governments of these other countries and everything else, man, they got it tough. When mm. COVID hit, man, like their reaction was more stringent, more strict than the way the United States was dealing. Like people were losing jobs left and right. Even though we were losing jobs, but they were losing jobs. Like, I don't even know if they get unemployment. I don't mm. even know how they're getting money to make ends meet. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, but if I could play a role being in an organization that is willing to help them out and, and be able to provide that relief, that's what I want to do. That's and, and I'm grateful that the Air Force has given me that experience, you know, to be able to to put it in, into that direction. Right. But again, that's me already thinking what I want to do with myself. A lot of problems now that these vets face is that they don't have that. You know, they yeah. don't have that plan going forward. And, 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 you know, sometimes they rely on the VA and everything else and they're not getting that answer that they need. You know, they're not getting the assistance that they need. Right. And it sucks, man. You know, because like. I had friends that got out and, you know, with the disability and everything else with the VA, I have friends that got out that they didn't even know what to do. They didn't even know where to start. They didn't even know how to do anything until I was able to sit down with them and and walk through them step by step on what I did so that way they could get on the same level with me and be able to get the, the, the benefits that they deserve. You know what I'm saying? How are you going to do 20, 30 years and you're going to come out and the VA is going to look at you and be like, okay, you know, it is what it is. And then I come to your office to say, help me. And you're going to look at me and say, well, how do you want me to help you? Yeah. Are you you kidding me? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, like I I worked at the VA, right? And so I understand, you know what I mean? Like the way I look at it and the way I explain it to people too, like, you know, civilians, Mm-hmm. I, you know, I look at them and say, I don't think when they started the war, they expected this many people to survive. It's it's hard, man. It's it's rough. You're still dealing with people from fucking Vietnam and Korean <laughs> War, and you're That's trying to deal right. with these guys that were Desert yeah. Storm, fucking Iraq, you know, 9-11. It's, man, it, it sucks, you know, because, you know, so I was doing IT there for, for the VA. 
there would be some times where I wouldn't even know the new software that came out because the VA didn't tell it. Like the own IT departments wouldn't tell you. It's it's such a big operation. Nothing talks to each other. You know, and the local VA that, that we have here, they're very nice people, man. Like I, I've, I've helped them with their computers. They care. But sometimes, man, it's just like the system doesn't allow. And also, too, they're fucking bombarded, man. Like I said, I don't think they were ready to help this many people. And that sucks. You know, when, when people are like, are you, you know, because people complain about the VA and I had to tell them, like, I don't think they were ready for to help this many people because you're still dealing with Vietnam fuckers. Like, you know, what yeah. I mean, like those guys have some real problems with them. So the Korean War vets. And then you got and then now you got a, a 20 year old, a 30 year old shit. I got out at 27 and got disability for the rest of my fucking life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how do you help me? Like, you know, and, and, and when you go to it and the sad part, too, is. I think also the sad part is a lot of people that they see vets every day. So that's their new customer. So when a vet comes in and say, I have this problem, they're like, well, I heard it from fucking Johnny over here and he got these problems. He got, they get kind of accustomed to the level of hurt that we're dealing yeah. with. And so it does, it's not, you know, unique anymore. Now it's like, I heard that shit last week and it, it's unfortunate because it's all you deal with. And then, you know, like, you know, I think, I think they care, but also the, the also thing that I don't think no one talks about is the fucking federal government doesn't pay. Like in Japan, I'm making, you know, money to come over here and be a GS 11. I took over a $20,000 hit on pay. And then I'm looking at the door like, no, man, like you're paying me for this. Like I I can make so much more money on the outside doing IT. You're not going to get the best quality people. And that's just the reality of shit that you can't really do it. And then, like I said, you, you, you have all these things on top of it. And then some of these doctors, you know, I mean, I think it's in general, but these doctors have been studying medicine for 30 years. Well, we got fucking burn pits. You know, like I went there and was like, hey, man, I got like I, I'm missing like I actually missing the melon in my skin. I was like, I'm thinking it's from burn pits. And I've I've been kind of bounced around. And, and finally, they kind of put it on my disability that, yes, my vertiligo is from burn pits. But we don't even know what the fuck burn pits are going to do. Like, you know, what I mean, like, how are you going to treat that? And then also we're in fucking Honduras, the mold that we had to probably be around was horrendous you know especially the hooch you lived in like that shit was just like legit wood you know we don't really know the the long-term effects and it's like you know it's that's i mean that's the frustrating part about you know and i think that's why the dod does it the way they do like all right military will take care of you va takes care of you after you're done and so they kind of have that separation and they just i don't i don't man it's hard man i don't know how you can really fix it yeah and i i agree man and i think the most difficult part is that and i even so right now I'm, I'm having an appeal with the va right now so i'm waiting for a judge to review my case but i think the difficult part is one and i express this to them one when you're in the service you going to the hospital was a big no-no right it was it was a career killer Fuck badge of honor to have a small yeah, medical record if, yeah if i went into mental health career killer if I told the doctor, hey, I'm having this issue because of this and that, and that's going to prevent me from deploying or anything else or not being able to do the mission, career killer. You know what I'm saying? So now you have these soldiers that are in the, that are active duty reserve guard in the military, sacrificing their lives, going, sucking up the pain that they're going through just because they don't want it to be on their records that they're hurting because there's the chance that they're going to get boarded, medically boarded, and they're going to lose out their fucking retirement, their years of service, and everything else. 
So yeah. now they get out, and we're hurting like motherfuckers. We're, we're, our bodies is wear and tear. We're broken. So you're telling us that our, our liaison for when we get out is to go to the VA. And when we go to the VA, you're now telling me I can't do nothing for you. Who the fuck do we turn to them? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, who am I supposed to look to? When I was in the federal government, you told me don't do it because my career is done. Now that I'm out and I'm still going to the, towards the VA and federal government, you tell me you can't help me? Or it's yeah. my, my, my big thing now, it's not service connected. Yeah. Okay, so I got two rotator cuff tears. All of this happened while I'm in the military, but you're telling me it's not service connected? So in other words, you, you're telling me that you're using that as the loophole to not give people what they deserve, what these veterans who have been sacrificing their lives deserve? Like and that's said, what I was told. I was told when I when I went to the first VA, they were like everything because I have I have two you know deployments to Iraq. They were like everything that's wrong with you was from Iraq. For that reason, because they yeah. you know you you say I got this issue, and they're like, was it was it in service of a combat deployment? It's like, you know, like the the dumb shit we did leading up to deploy. You know, because uh, I came in in '04. And so, you know, and it's funny because we're Air Force and it's like, you know, haha, yeah, guys really cared about the mission. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but it was, it was like a trip, a choke. They would, you know, it's, they would tell us your, your mission in life is to deploy. If you don't deploy, like if you, if you were that guy who got your ankle broken and you, and you kind of like got out of deployment, you were branded for life as like, you are a, like a pussy. You're a traitor to America. And that was really how we talked to each other. Like it was a badge of honor to sit there, you know. Even having a profile, like, oh, you got a profile yeah. means you can't deploy. So oh, we don't go get yeah. it. Yeah. I, I will run a mile and a half and it will be hurting, but we don't get a profile. And so, you know, to, to sit there as, you know, I remember getting out and having my medical records and being proud of that shit. You know, I had, you know, shin splints. And so it kind of like, it, it kind of, for me hurt, like, oh, fuck, man, it kind of fucked up my thing. But I think it was in New Mexico, man. There was a, a CE commander there, civil engineer commander. That if you couldn't deploy because you were hurt, he was medboarding you. Like that is like shit. I have a friend that got out that way, where they're like, "Well, we need you to deploy only. So if you can't deploy for us, your job is done." And they did that to people. I mean, that is a real fucking thing that happened. Yeah, that's a that's a reality, man. In my two years in Jersey with the contingency unit, you had to be deployable. If you got what they called a deployment availability code, where it put you on the shelf, you were fucked. Leadership yeah. was like, you know, good to me, get the fuck out. Yeah. You know? But the, my, my thing is, is, is for, for us veterans, when we transition out, where do we go? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, these are, you, you brief us in our transition and taps and everything else who these representatives are and what their roles and responsibilities are. But when I actually physically go there to get your help, because that's your role and responsibility, you're going to give me, I can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't get me wrong. People with the, the disability, now that the way they're doing it, where you file before retirement and everything else is smart. I'm glad that they're doing that and everything. But give these veterans what they deserve. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If, if their records are coming to you, showing you that they're broke like a joke because the military, the years of military, the deployments and everything else did this to them, then give them what they deserve. Yeah. Don't 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 try to side swap in and be like, oh, not service connected or or this this, this doesn't count as a claim or whatever yeah. the case would be. You know, give these veterans what they deserve. Dude, there's this guy that I knew, man, he rest in peace with my buddy's dad, Korean War veteran. 
30 years ago, whatever the case was, he was an aircraft mechanic, an engine mechanic on the old school B bomber aircraft. They wouldn't even give him tinnitus. The man couldn't hear and they wouldn't give him tinnitus. Come on. Yeah. What are you what what are you saying? What what is what is the image that you're setting the president the president that you're setting for these veterans from Korean War, Vietnam War to now that yeah. we don't give a fuck about any of you? Yeah. That's that's well, that's to me that's crazy. The crazy fucking part too is a lot of times it's the verbiage you use because they have like a little fucking chart. And if you didn't say this word that it doesn't mean 50%. It doesn't. And you know cuz like I had an exam for my back. I found out I have a uh, a bulged disc. And so, like, you know, you go to the CMP exam, he's like, touch your toes. And it's like, you know, and that's where you fuck up at. If you can touch your toes, no more back for you. Like, you're going to have to fight for years. But the thing is, is like, of course I can touch it because I can, I'm in pain every fucking day. You get used to the pain. It, but you have to understand, it's like, I have to, you know, and then also, you know, they, uh, they, they do all these things and, and like, your back, your knees, or whatever, they it's different from day to, to afternoon. But when you go in the and they'll tell you, like when you go into your thing, it has to be your worst day. And you're just like, man, fuck, like there has to be a level that you have to do where you have to play a role yeah. if you want to get your disability. Yeah. And you know, yeah. and it 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 sucks. It's you know, and uh, you know, it's it's like what do you do? And then you got a lot of old school cats who are like, I'm not saying shit. Like I know guys even now, they they retired. They're in their 50s and 60s. They refuse to say what's wrong with them because they don't want to deal with the VA. And, and, you know, you got a lot of these guys coming out of the VA right now or a lot of young guys coming out of the military. And I don't know about you, but being in the VA is fucking depressing because mm-hmm. I look at it, too. I'm like, man, I'm 35. That guy is 55 and 65. He's in a fucking walker. Is that my future? Because yeah. ain't nobody ever said this shit to me. And you have to start wondering. And it's fucking depressing because you see all their issues and you're just like, I got that issue, too. What were they like in their 30s? Were they having problems too? Yep. And you yeah, know, and go ahead. I agree, man. And I was gonna say I agree, but let's let's clear something up real quick. For those that are listening and whatnot, I'm not saying do not go to the VA. Oh, yeah. Because no. there are there are VAs that out there that are good, that are willing to help and everything else. Oh, yeah. but my 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 big thing is like continue the fight. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. I know at times you're going to you're going to run into some obstacles where you're going to be like, man, this is bullshit or whatnot. But continue to fight the fight, man, because that's to me, the perception that I'm getting from the VA is that that's what they do. They stall it. They, they, they make you they make you get so frustrated to where you say, you know, what, I'm not dealing with this shit no more. And the VA won. You know what I'm saying? Because now they don't got to pay you. Now they don't got to give you any benefits because you don't want to continue to put up the fight. But I was like, fuck that, man. I got nothing but time on my hands yeah. to where we could go all day with this. You're going to tell me no? You need to give me real reasons why you're telling me no. Well, and there's even what... an industry within that industry now because now you got lawyers who will do your cases for you. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like, whoa, lawyers are involved now in your disability case? Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, I only want 10% of your whatever you get. And it's, right. you know, for two years or whatever. It, man, it, it's a it's a, tr- a tricky road right now when it comes to VA disability because there's so many rules. Like there's a um, I forgot what it's called though, but you can actually get what they can look at. Like it's public information to sit there and say you're back. Then these are the these are the criteria to get to 50, yeah. 60, or whatever. Yeah. And so as long as you say those things, you get that you get that thing. So it's it's like sometimes they give you the answers, 
but it's like it's kind of sitting there saying like my answer is not a fucking issue it's just my fucking back i'm having these problems and uh so when i got out um i was a personal trainer and uh i was another personal trainer was an army guy he was a uh what is it airborne infantry like had it like confirmed kills fucked up in the head had like injuries from actual you know doing parachuting and shit like that doing a lot of jumps I got a higher rating than him because I was able to elaborate. And a lot of that was because of what the Air Force taught me. Certain words mean certain things. So I had to learn how to explain myself, articulate myself in a, in a way instead of saying my back hurts, you know, yeah. for an example. And that was because we had talked about it when we got our ratings. And he was just like, how the hell did you get more than me? And I was like, did you say this? He's like, no, I didn't say that. I was like, did you say this? He's like, no, I didn't say that. Like, did you say this? And he's like, no. Nah. <laughs> they didn't ask me that question. And it's like, yeah. well, they, they didn't ask you those questions. But, you know, being Air Force, you're, you're allowed to, like, let me make this bigger than what it is, or let me actually like kind of say these words. And so, you know, I mean, that's the frustrating part. I think a lot of people get, you know, like their maybe their job didn't teach them specifically to sit there and say, you know, what's another word to say this, you know? Yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the sucky part is, is that a lot of those that are like, I didn't know that when I was transitioning out, I didn't know the, the behind the scenes of what I would have to go through to try to fight for what I they deserve. You know what I'm right. saying? And unfortunately, a lot of these transitioning veterans that are going, they're going to have to deal with it. don't have that understanding because they're thinking, you're here to help me. You're yeah. here to, to get me the benefits that I'm, I'm deserving of and everything else. But if that's not going to be communicated to me, then, you know, they're going to learn the hard way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I wish I had somebody telling me before I got out, hey, dude, when you do this, just be ready. <laughs> They're going to say A, B, C, and make sure you say this, make sure you do that. I right. didn't have none of that. It took, you know, I had to do my own research. Dude, I started out, I only get the benefits now because I fought for it. When I mm. started out, I started out below 50. 50 is the magic number, right? I started out below 50. I wasn't getting shit. They were taking it from my pension. From my pension, they were taking it as my VA disability. Until I fucking had to do my own research and, and fight for it and everything else. But yeah. I wish I had people telling me, this is how it works. This is what you yeah. need to, like you said, key words. If you say this, if, if, you have, if you're going in for a back problem, make sure your motion is not this amount. You know what yep. I'm saying? Make sure you, you only can move this certain, uh, uh, bend down to only touch this certain amount of your toes or whatever the case may be. I didn't have none of that, man. And unfortunately, yeah. it's, it's going to be like that for a lot of veterans is they're going yeah. to learn the hard way because, you know, there's really nothing, nothing out there to really guide them until they deal with it. And then yeah. they say, OK, who can I go to to help me with this? My boy is at 90 percent. That motherfucker just hired some company to try to get him that 10 percent because that 100 percent in Texas is great. You know what yeah. I'm saying? There's a lot of a lot of good that comes from it. So he just hired a company to get him the 10 percent, which hopefully he gets it. He deserves it. But for me, I feel bad for those with the PTSD, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. these are the ones who are already having a tough time trying to adjust, trying to situate themselves in, in, in the civilian world. And now you're telling, they're going into an office with, that's supposed to help them and they're being more frustrated. Yeah. They're being more put with burden on them because nobody really wants to take the fucking time to, to get them what they need. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's sad. But at the same token, like I said, this is why I'm, I'm grateful that yourself and I'm sure other podcasts are creating these platforms for these guys so they understand that you're not alone in this. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're not the only one. Everybody 
is dealing with issues of all sorts of all kinds in their life and everything else. But it takes you to take that step to say something, you know, take the initiative to want to listen to want to to want to get the help that you need, because if not, it's going to be a tough fucking world, man. It really is. Yeah. So the, the reason why I created, why I wanted to start doing this and I know you did it. And so it's not like negative towards people doing this is a 22 challenge, 22 push up challenge. Right. My opinion on it was, I'm not going to do it because, and, and again, it's not slight to anyone doing it. I understand, but 22 pushups ain't going to do shit. Like, you know, we can talk about, Hey, veterans are killing themselves. 22. Ta- like, I don't, that's not going to do shit. A person who has a gun to their fucking head doesn't care that someone's trying to bring awareness that way. You know what I mean? It's just, it is what it is. And so, you know, as someone who's actually legit pointed a gun at their head and say, fuck, I'm about to do this and just kind of think of the way out. I think the only way we can do it is as vets, man, and, and letting people know, like, hey, man, you're going to experience, like, your experience is way different than mine, but it doesn't mean you haven't had troubles. You know what I mean? You're wow. you're still having to transition to a world that you're not familiar with, and especially at an older age when, you know, you're looking around and you know, these kids are not the kids that you even dealt with yourself because they're military and these things and so that's why I, I got really frustrated with, you know, this whole thing of like, hey, 22 pushups. But it's just like, I don't think that's going to do anything. I, I truly don't. You know, because that person who wants to kill themselves isn't thinking, man, you know, like these pushups, which w- w- which is sad, though. If these motherfuckers started doing some like PT and every day, that would help their mental side for sure. And there's 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 things to help out. Like the VA does care. Like when I talk to my therapist, like she does care. And. That's, you know, that is a big, that, that does help that I can talk to another vet that is decided to become a therapist to help and, and understand me. So that does help. And, I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to be in those positions all the time. But, you know, that, that's, that's what I saw. Like, man, we are killing ourselves way too fucking much that we have a higher chance of dying now. And I've known some people that I deployed with that have actually, you know, committed suicide. And I've been there myself. I know a lot of other friends I've been there too as well. And it's, I don't know what the answer is. I truly don't know what's going to help us. But I, I do know for a fact that, hope I, I don't even know. I just hope that you can tell your story. I can tell my story. And people can sit there and say, like you said earlier, I'm not alone, you know? And so I, I think that's what it comes down to is vets taking care of vets. And, you know, I mean, and, and that's what sucks because you're now by yourself away from all your friends. You feel the sadness because it sucks. And mm-hmm. you're trying to talk to them every day, but they got the military still going on, man. For them, the mission is still hot and you have time to sit there and text. They don't have time because EPRs do, awards are due, man. The mission never sleeps. And that's what sucks. And so you feel that sadness because what you love the most was a commodity, man. The pictures you and I have when I when I when I look back eleven years and we're in Honduras, all it's always fun times, smiles, drinks in the air. I mean, to me that was a highlight. It was a great fucking time. We had a great time there. But now you're where you're at. I'm where I'm at, and we start isolating ourselves because it's like, the fuck I'm gonna talk to? You know, like I have you know people are like, they come and talk to me. It's like, I don't care to be your fucking friend because I don't need your friendship, man. I got friends I call. I call you, you answer. Shit, we talked, I think, what, just yesterday about doing this, and you're down to help, you know? And then, shit, when I talked to you for, we hadn't talked in a long time, and you're talking to my daughter, I mean, we talked, I don't know even how long, but it was it was a, a long time. Those are, the, that's family. Like, those people I can call in a heartbeat, boom, family. 
these other people, I, I don't give a fuck to deal with them. And that's what's kind of hard right now with, you know, in your situation. Like, what are you going to have in common with a 22-year-old? You know, e- even mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you even have problems with a person who's in their 40s who didn't, who wasn't in the military. Because you got Turkey as experience. You got Honduras. You got all your deployments. You got you got the uh, the experience of life on your on your hands if you if you fuck up and there's probably some things you made a mistake that you're going to take to the grave with you that you have to always internalize man it, it's it's hard to really communicate with the civilian world because it, we're not the same and i don't know if we could be the same yeah i don't i don't i don't think i mean it's a it's a hard relationship to try to create just because of you like you said mm-hmm. it's the, the backgrounds are so different so it, it's crazy because some of my a majority of the friends that I know here that I hang out with and everything else are military backgrounds you know what I'm saying they're they're still in or they retired or they were in and got out and everything else plus you know it's it's comforting to know that I have my siblings that can relate because they're military backgrounds as well mm. you know my one of my brother he's still in hopefully to be retiring next year and I'd still be hearing his stories about the fucking headaches he's having or, you know, this lieutenant colonel this or this major that, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But you think he could call Manny from, you know, from fucking Verizon to tell, hey, man, I'm going through these issues? Hell yeah. no, man. You know, but it's, it's, it's two different backgrounds. But it's it, it's tough now because of the fact that the, the, the classmates are young. They don't understand. And it pisses me off when... When I see their engagement and how they, the lack of engagement, the lack of discussion and everything else. But I'm fortunate that I'm able to have that military experience there with my brothers, my friends and everything else. Like you said, I mean, even if it's just picking up a phone to call you to say, hey, man, can we talk? Yeah, we could do it. Whereas and I think that's I think that's what people still need to have. Like I said, it's it's that support you know, that support system, you still need to have that, man. Right. Because majority of all my friends are all military. You know, mm. even even some of my childhood friends back from Brooklyn, some of them are ex-military because they joined the army or whatever. But it's like just even even dealing with the whole transition, everything else, I couldn't just talk to my boy Ralphie, who has no military background at, at all, to say, yeah. hey, man, I'm, this is what I'm thinking about. You know, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Because he's going to be like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. You know. I don't know. I don't know what you did in the military. I don't know <laughs> the, all the experience you have and everything else. So, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a relationship that you really have to create depending on certain people. And, and like, for example, one of, one of my good friends who I met in, in college, he's a young guy and everything else, but his dad's Navy. So mm-hmm. he has an understanding of, of the military lifestyle because his dad goes on deployments you know, his dad is PCS and he's been, you know, military brat, as they say. Right, right. So he's been around. So I'm able to easily communicate with him mm. because it's like you, you have a little bit of an understanding because your dad's probably going through the same shit I'm going through. Right. You know, but yeah, it's it's tough, man. It, it really is. And it just takes some time. But again, I'm grateful that I didn't come to Florida alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't just pack up my bags and just decided to move to Florida and say, OK, Israel, figure it out. I came to Florida with the help of the family. I came to Florida with the friends I already had here. You know, I already had a home already. You know what I'm saying? And and already people to communicate with and, and share stories with and, and get help and everything else. Because if 
not, man. It's it's tough, man. And, and yeah. I think that's honestly, like I told you, is why I feel like a lot of people, a lot of young airmen, when they separate, they go back home because yeah. they don't know anything better. You know what I'm yeah. saying? They don't know. They don't know where they could go to or who can they call to say, hey, can I come stay with you? Or whatever the case may be, they don't they don't have that understanding, you know. Yeah. So it is tough, though, man. It is. Yeah, because I know one thing that I face a lot, man, is I always feel like I'm that fucking freak. You know, because I'm still, my haircuts, I get them Mondays and Fridays. I wake up at 5.30. You know, I was making fun of you yesterday for sleeping yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and that's that's the way that I've tried to keep it this way so I don't transition all the way to military, like to civilian life. I've kept it very regimental. I PT mm-hmm. six days. I still call it PT. You know, I still keep certain amount of things. And anytime I talk to a civilian, man, I feel like I'm the fucking freak because they're like, yeah. how do you do this? I'm like, you fucking do it. Like, well, you know what I mean? And a lot of my problems is, you know, the Air Force gave me a, a, an ability to be a problem solver. And I never once was I given the ability to be a listener. So I don't fucking know how to listen. I just know how to solve problems, especially being an NCO. It's like, hey, I got this problem. Well, let's fix it. Let's, you know, we can do it this way. So, you know, I know that I self-isolate a lot. And I think that's a, a lot of problems that veterans have is because, you know, I do feel like a fucking freak. When we start talking, me and you, cool. I can make fun of you for sleeping in and you can make fun of me for waking up that time. And yeah. there's no issue. The moment I start talking to a civilian, they give you that look. And I've talked to my therapist about this look. There's a look people give you when they find out that you're not who they thought they were. You know what I mean? I've talked to a couple people and you you talk to the guys and it's like, you know, they kind of find out that you're you're have already. Th- um, I was talking to a whole bunch of realtors one time and we were talking about something and they were like, why would you have the you know, why would you have the kid's bedroom? Um, up in front. And I was like, well, probably because, you know, the back door is probably where you would rob somebody first because, and I started giving like how I would think about robbing somebody. Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, have you done it before? I was like, not nah, just military. And they were just kind of like, oh, and it, it killed the fucking conversation. And yeah. it's like, this is why, and, and to me, it was like, this is why I don't fucking talk because this fucking weird shit. Now I could be wrong about how to do it. Cause I, you know, I was not, you know, I wasn't security forces special. I wasn't none of that shit, mm-hmm. but just how my mind thinks of like analyzing the situation. Well, maybe it might be this better. And it killed the conversation. And it's like, to me, it's like, this is why I don't fucking talk to nobody. Because there's that awkward conversation and someone's looking at you like, are you, you know, because they have to almost think about it. Are you thinking about doing something to me? You know what I mean? And I've had that conversation where, you know, I'm talking to somebody. I'm like, do you understand I will fucking choke the shit out of you right now? Or like, I'm going to get excited to to hurt you. And they have a, a look on their face that is pure, like, shock. Like, holy fuck, you are not, like, I thought you were so quiet and chill. You're just quiet and like crazy. You know, they kind of paint you that way. And so I think that's what a lot of veterans have, man. I think we self-isolate, you know, because your personality and my personality are completely different, you know. And I'm glad you kept that personality because that personality, I think, has helped you a lot. Like you are approachable. You know, you're the you're the I even when I described you to my wife, I described you as the party. You know, you're the life of the party. You're that guy. You know, you're the guy that. It doesn't matter who they are, what rank they are. They're going to party with you because Izzy is fun to party with. And, you know, and that's what that's what we saw. Like, we hanged out all the time and it was good times. And you're always that guy. You knew somebody from somebody from somewhere else. You knew the lunch lady from somehow. I don't know how you got into conversation, <laughs> but she knew you. And you knew yeah, her son. Yeah. You would ask her, how are you doing? You know, like, that's just your personality. And so I'm glad to see that that's really helping you out. Because I, I really do believe you can make a difference. And so if that's FEMA, if that's being a teacher, a part-time teacher, that's even being a big brother. I think there's an ability that you have that could really, really um, be a ripple effect in, the, in this world. You know, like 
very hippie-ish, very thing like that. But, you know, like I was watching a motivation video and, and Will Smith talks about that. Like he wants this world to be better because he was in it. And I think a lot of us vets want that same thing. It's just, and we got a skill set that can actually fucking help the world. And then when it comes to your command and control, when it comes to just actually caring, because you are a caring person before I, before all this, like I said, you're the only person I know that would know the lunch lady's son somehow, you know, like you're the only, like when we, when we go to chow hall, like you would know people all over the place. And I think even your maid, you were like friends with her for somehow. It was like right, somebody who comes right. cleans your, your hooch. <laughs> Y'all are like good friends and she loves you to death. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you're that guy. And so, you know, I, I do think you can save the world in, in a sense, and you can make this place a better place. And the best part about it, you can do it on your own terms. And I think that's great. And so with wrapping everything up, what I would like to do is uh, do a hot wash, you know, and, and a hot wash on you getting out. You know, so first we can start with what did you like that you did when you got out? Um, I definitely like that I took some me time, <laughs> that I, I took some time to decompress and and just let the whole years of service just sort of be behind me and you know and just take some time for myself man like i said i stopped shaving i let my hair grow out you know because you know how to shave every day you had to get a haircut you had to meet these grooming standards i was like forget all that man now i'm just gonna do me like just take time for me continue to work out do what i want to do maybe go travel here and there whatnot but take some me time is definitely that was essential for me man i tell all my friends that are coming up in retirement now are getting out, take some me time. Do you for a little bit because you missed out on your kid's birthday so many times. You missed out on your anniversary so many times. You missed out on, on, on promised vacation so many times. Take the time to do you and spend the time, quality time with your family, friends to make up for those, those missed times, you know? Because a lot of people, as soon as they got out, right into work. That's what I did. Yeah, but I mean, take the time to just, <laughs> yeah. if you can, I'm not saying everybody can. I'm fortunate that I'm able to because I live with my brother. But if you can, take the time. Slow down a little bit. You mm. know what I'm saying? Instead of going quick, 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 fast, 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 take the time to breathe. Breathe a little bit, slow down, and, 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 and appreciate every moment that you have in front of you, man. Even if it's just you sitting in the, in the, in the back drinking your little cocktail. My buddy likes to drink his cocktail and smoke a cigar by his pool. Do it. You know what I'm saying? Take the time to do all that stuff for yourself, man. And I'm definitely glad that I went back to school. I'm definitely I'm glad that I decided to further my education because it really does help. You know, I think I could have got a job right away just because of 20 years experience. But I said to myself, let's make yourself a better candidate. Let's make yourself somebody that will be a better asset to whatever organization by getting that degree you know what i'm saying so now not only am i doing just 20 years now i'm giving you a degree in the job and 20 years of that job at the same time you know what i'm saying so mm -hmm. i'm glad that i went back to get my degree and i'm thankful for my family and friends who encouraged me to go back to tell me hey do it man get it out of the way so so yeah i'm grateful for that man and, and you know for the support like i told you the support system man. i'm grateful for you my friends my, my family, all my friends that I've, I've met throughout the 20 years of the military, I'm grateful for all of them. To be able to pick up a phone and call them or message them, you know, Facebook, whatever, and just to simply say, hey, how's it going? You know, how are you doing? And just checking in on you and everything else. I mean, I, I'm really big on, like, I need 
if I haven't heard from you in a while, I'll drop you a line just to make sure that, you know, to let you know I haven't forgot about you and to make sure you're okay, you yeah. know? So on that one, what did you do that you didn't like? Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> that's a tough one. I don't, I don't really think there's anything that I did that I didn't like. Um, because like I said, I left out on a high note, man. I, I, I left out the career just the way I wanted to. I went out on my terms and everything else. And, you know, and, and I'm doing everything on still on my terms. You know, nobody's forcing me to go to school. Nobody's forcing me to try to find a job or anything. Finances are, are being managed right and everything. So I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think I could say there's anything I didn't like. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm content right now, man. Life is okay. good. And then on that one, what are some lessons you learned on, on your transition? Oh, <laughs> when you go back to school, watch out for these youngins. <laughs> uh, they're not the same now, but I think the one thing I learned from my transition is you're definitely going to have to learn to adjust, man. Make a necessary adjustments. Uh, like I said, like we said, you know, the military guided us. It gave us to go left. It told us to go right. You know, if we needed certain help or anything else, we knew where to go to. Whereas in the civilian world, it's up to you. You know, if you got a if you got a, a medical issue, you got to be the one to call the doctor. You got to be the one to get the appointment and everything else, or make the drive to where you need to go. You know, if you need help or anything like that, you got to be the one to start taking your own actions. Where I can't call the the finance, I can't call billeting, I can't call services, I can't do this and be like, hey man, I need this and that. Nowadays, I got to research and be like, okay, who's who's the person I could go to to get this help. I'm thankful that the VA is right next to me, man. So any issues I got, I already enrolled with them and everything else. But anything I got, I, I know where I could go to. My my primary care is still at Patrick Air Force Base. So I'm still I still go to the base to see my doctor and everything. So I mean I'm I'm grateful that the resources are really close by me and around me and everything else. But though that was one thing, it was, you know, you're you're on your own medical insurance. You know, you gotta you're on your own dental plan and everything else like who's the doctor you want to see like right now dental was every year right you had an appointment you had to go see the dental office every year now patrick air force base doesn't have dentists for retirees so now i gotta figure out who am i gonna go to so i'm over here talking to my brother like yo who's a good dentist hey my friends do you guys know who's a good dentist i go to go to you know things like that that would already been given to me when i was in now I had to adjust to understand that, like to figure that stuff out now. So I think it's adjustments, man. I mean, it's adjustments in the sense there is there is nobody that you could just pick up the phone and call anymore to get an answer for. You got to look at yourself. You got to research it yourself. You got to find it out yourself and everything else. So I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned, but. And, and, you know, have a plan. Definitely have a plan as well. At least try to come up with a plan to get you going. Like you said, I know you mentioned, you know, you, you had goals. So the goals is what kept you on the path to, to try to get to achieve somewhere. And I, I feel like you need that in a plan, you know, just something that's going to lead you on this path to where do I go from here? You know, how do I get to A? How do I get to B? How do I get to C? So on and so forth. But you definitely need a plan as well. There's definitely things... Because if I would have just came in here just like cowboy, wild, wild west, let it be what it is, who knows what I would have been doing. 
I already yeah. knew when I get out, I'm going back to school. I'm getting my degree. You know, after that, I'm going to try to look for work with FEMA or, or anything else. Or, you know, I want to live overseas. So let me start looking where overseas I want to live. You know, I already have things in alignment for myself to focus on. So when I get to those steps, okay, I could check this one off. What's the next one? Okay, check this one off. What's the next one? But if you just come in, like, what am I going to do? It's going to be tough, man. Yeah. It's going to be tough. So on that one, since we got that, so we got all those things taken care of. Last one is going forward, what's next for you? Going forward for me definitely is uh, working with FEMA. I want to want to be involved in emergency management. I want to, if it's not FEMA, at least some sort of emergency management hub. I want to definitely give back to help those in need. I want to I want to serve a purpose within these organizations. Like I'm not trying to be working Mickey D's or Wendy's or, you know, my <laughs> a lot of my friends joke around like, oh, you could be a Walmart greeter now that you're retired. Like, no, I'm not trying to do any of that. You know, so like I want to I want to be back in the emergency management world. I want to give back help, you know, because I love doing that when I was in the service, especially in when I was in Jersey for my last two years, how we were sending the teams to these countries to help the people in need and everything. That's what I want to continue to do. And, you know, learning, learning now through through the school, how the state, local and nonprofit, private sectors and everything, how they all affiliate with emergency management is something I didn't know because my community was military. My community mm. was the Air Force. So any type of emergency management I dealt with was with military assets. You know, yeah, we cared about the base populace outside, but at the same time, it was my focus was the Air Force. That was it. So it's, it's an, intriguing to see how the other dynamics play a role and everything else. But, I mean, again, my plan, I want to get a federal job and then do another 20 years and hopefully get a second pension, man. And that's that's the plan right now. I want to be 62, 65 and never, ever have to be working. <laughs> I mean, I know people. I know people who are like fucking seventy years old still working. Like, why? You know, they yeah. just that's just them though. That everybody's yeah. different, but that's their work ethic. That's their that's their mindset. Like, they didn't need to work, but I want to be just chilling. Like, I want those <laughs> to really be my golden years. You know, where I could just go wherever I want to go and do what I want to do. You know, so so those those are my those are my my my, uh, my hopefully my my vision right now for the future. Well, that's dope, man. And like, again, I do really appreciate you doing this. Like, I hit you up, and the next thing you know, you're like, this is what time I wake up, and we can go. And true to your word, you woke up and said, hey, let's go. So I do appreciate it, man. Um, it's been, what, 11 years since we were, you know, the, you know, I was yeah. hanging out. But, <laughs> you know, young, little, young Padawan I know, man. And it, what's crazy is, is like, it, it, and this is what everyone always says, and I, and I always feel bad for someone who's never experienced this type of friendship. We pick up right where we left off. We could probably, I wonder, we probably were still making the same jokes at each other. You know what I mean? Like, if we get all three of us on here, we get Nori, then it's definitely going to be some more jokes yeah, going on with that yeah, one, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, and even when I talk to him, that's what it is, too. It's like, we, I, it, I feel bad. I generally do feel bad for nobody who experiences that. You and I, man, I think we talked maybe 2014, and then we talked, like, last year. And, but it's, it's A, it's no ill will. And then when we talk, man, it's like, it, same thing. We picked up right where we left off, and so I think that's a, it's amazing, man. I'm so I'm so fortunate that I have friends like you. I can call. I have friends that whenever we call, it's bam. You know, it's yeah. yeah I yeah. feel the same, man. I really do appreciate the friendships I created. 
uh, the bonds. Like you said, it's a brotherhood. And I think and I think that's one differentiation between the vets and the civilians is we have that. And, you know, and a lot of times is is these vets need to understand, like, use it, man. You know what I'm saying? The, your boys are not just going to want to hear the good things from you. You know what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, that's great. But we also want to hear the bad things as well, man, because that's how we help each other. Right. And if you're not if you're not doing that communication, if you're not doing that expressing, then then things are never gonna get resolved. You know, we're not right. gonna be able to help things out. I'll I'll say this as my last thing, but I had two really close friends of mine that that were successful suicides. One of them did it because he wanted his uh, SGLI to go to his child because he got into some shit, and the other one did it. I don't know why. But here's the, the the thing is, and it's like I feel sometimes like I partially blame myself because I feel like I should have kept in contact with them more and everything else. But I felt at the same token is why you didn't say anything. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like why you didn't reach out, especially that we do have this bond, that we do have this brotherhood. Because when we were together, we worked together, everything was happy-go-lucky. And those are the worst ones, you know, because you don't see the signs right away. Mm. You don't. You don't see the depression set in and you don't see the, the angers or the frustrations or everything else that makes you want ask yourself, man, is something wrong with this person? Is the yeah. ones that are saying everything is fine, that everything is happy-go-lucky are the ones that are going home and, and thinking the worst, you know? So I would say if you have these bonds, if you have these friendships, talk, man. Talk, talk, talk. Yeah. Call them up. That's why I said my philosophy is if I met you, Throughout my life, and we created a friendship and bond, that shit's for me forever. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I might not have talked to you here and there, but maybe it might be a year or two that I haven't talked to you, but guess what? I'm still going to hit you up and say, hey, man, just checking in. How's, yeah. How are you doing? How's the family? How's this? How's that? And and the same goes for me. You know, I, I appreciate when people just send a text and say, hey, Izzy, man, I haven't talked to you in a while. What's going on? But it needs to happen. We yeah. need to take that upon ourselves to make that stuff happen because if not, we're all going to be isolated in a cave by ourselves, man. And that's that's no place to be. Yeah, because the, the crazy part is actually uh, when I talked to you when I was in Vegas, that's I was going through a lot of shit. I was drinking too much. I was probably trying to figure out how I was going to kill myself. Um, and, you know, that the SGLI shit is legit. Seriously, like I was I was doing the same thing where, you know, I'm riding my motorcycle and I would just fucking get the throttle and put my head down and saying, fuck it, like. That's the only way I saw making money. Like, if I'm gonna die, it got to be successful. Like, in in a way, there has to be some benefit to the family. And I talked to you, and I, boom, I can I can understand where it's like I didn't even remotely let you know. We and you had a good conversation. It was laughing and joking, and there was no clue indication that I was having it because I didn't want to talk about it. Because I, I think a lot of it comes down to a shame. You think you're gonna get out, and you expect to fucking kill it. And when you don't kill it and you don't want to let no one else know, I failed. See, but that's that's the fallacy that we need to get over, man. Oh, that's, yeah. That's the, that's the era of logic that we need to put that shit behind us and forget about shame. I'd rather, you don't, you don't know, I was, I was, I'm going to be honest, I was pissed off when I found out that they both committed suicide. Because of the fact I felt like it was selfish, but at the same time, I don't know what was going through their mind. Mm. But you left behind a mother... You left behind a father. You left behind your kids, your wife, and everybody else. Yeah. Even your friends that have nothing but love for you. You know what I'm saying? That would do anything for you if you would have just reached out to us. You know what I'm saying? But that's the problem nowadays. A lot of people, they their pride gets the best of them. 
The yeah. pride makes it seem like, oh, my ego is I need to be on top. I need to be showing that I am okay, that I'm fine, that the fucking reality of life is not fucking kicking my ass. Fuck that. If it's kicking your ass, then that's why we're here. Yeah. That's why we have the friendships. That's why we have the people that we could talk to to let them know that life is fucking me up. But you have to you have to let that happen because and I'm blessed and grateful that you didn't follow through on your actions the way my other two friends did. But then again, it's like I look at them and I'm like, man, what could I have done more? Maybe yeah. it did, maybe I did all I could do and it was just them that didn't give back. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I would never know. I would never know how the mind works. I would never know why people even go down that path because I love life. You know what I'm saying? I love my life, you know, and it's just it just it, it's it's in awe how how people could even think the way they think, especially, you know, like I said, he did it for the SGO life for his family. Right. Damn, bro. Was it really worth it? You know what I'm saying? Because now yeah. now that he's gone. Now you're no longer here to help your family in the future obstacles right. that they face. You know, the crisis that they're facing right now, where are you? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, well, now you I, have the... Well, a lot of that stuff, man, I think it is is you. Because that's how I felt. You're causing the problem. So if we can get rid of the main fucking root of the problem, which is what I thought it was myself, then we're good. All the family needs is some, is some money and they're good to go. And I'm fucking like... Scary. Right. And, and that's sad, right? Like I said, um, that that's it's bad. Like, and yeah. I understand the flaw of that logic. And then at that time, that's how my logic was, was like, I'm the fucking problem. Let's remove the problem. And and a lot of times too is, you know, and not trying to blame the military, but they let you know, like, you know, I remember being in boot camp and I still find it funny that the Air Force did this in boot camp when I was going in. They said, Hey, half you guys, well, I remember in boot camp, they're like, half you guys will die next year. We're like, Holy shit. Uh-oh. Right. You know, because the war was going on. This was oh four. Yeah. You know, people were getting their heads decapitated. You know, everybody was dying on a regular basis. Death was in the newspaper on a regular basis. So they let us know you will die. Half of you will die. And you and I deployed within, you know, I, I was a year in and I before I, before I got my year notification I or hit my anniversary, I was already scheduled to deploy. I volunteered and was able to go. And so I think a lot of that carries over with you because, you know, you, you know, like you die. Right. Like it's just death is different for us sometimes because we either know people who died um we've seen it or you know like you're in different parts of the world where you know shit when we're honduras i still tell that that story about we're at the bar and that guy one of our friends stepped out outside like the gate and got robbed by machete yeah, and there was yeah, guards yeah. at the club who could care less about this dude getting robbed because it wasn't on the fence yeah. And you know, it's like we're exposed to a different side of this world where they honestly don't give a flying fuck about life. They don't value life like we do. And yeah. so I think a lot of that kind of stays with us as well. And so we don't value our life. <clears throat> we think we're the problem. And and it's a it's a downward spiral. We're getting we're just it's too much. And yeah. you know, we can we can break that chain. Hopefully we can save someone's life. But I can see, and that's sad, like, I can see. Where you sit there and say, if I give you money and I'm out the picture, your life is way better. And it, it, it's sad. Because like you're saying, like, yeah. what about now? They, they left behind a lot. But at the same time, you're just sitting there saying, I'm causing so much destruction right now. The world would be better without me. And, that's, and I know it's a terrible feeling to have. And it's a terrible feeling that someone has to go through that. And they're kind of keeping that to themselves, too. Yeah, and I think, and I think that's, that's the downfall that you said, is that they keep it to themselves. So- you don't really know what's going on, man. I'm only good as the information I get. You know what yeah. I'm saying? If you if you tell me you have a problem, then we could work it. If I tell you I have a problem, then we could work it. But if we both keep our mouths quiet and we say, hey, everything's good, good. All right, see yeah. you tomorrow. 
there, <laughs> there ain't no there ain't no problem to fix you know what I'm saying? Yeah. because we don't know we don't we don't have the understanding of, of what's going on man and then it sucks and i hope people they they need to stop doing that they don't there is no shame don't let the pride get the best of you don't feel like you're weak don't feel like oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this no your life is more valuable than what you really think it is if i knew that you have problems like that Trust me, I would express to you how valuable your life means to me, Nori, and everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Versus you just thinking like I'm the fucking the problem and I need to get the problem out of the way. How do I do that? I take my my life out of the way, you know? Yeah, man. So, it, it's dark and it, it sucks. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. And that's why, you know, and, and it sucks because we're talking about this and it kills the conversation, right? You and I having a great time and <laughs> you talk about it and it's like, fuck. No, but it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Well, that's Good. what I'm saying. Like, we, we have to have these fucking talks. Like, it, it's just, it is what it is. And that's why I wanted to do this because we're not having the talks. We're talking about the good times and we're not talking about the bad times and shit like this is happening. And, and I, that's why I truly believe with all my heart, it's going to take us to help this. You know, if we can get it down to 21 and the, saying that sounds kind of fucked up, but it's like, that's where we're at right now. We're, we're trying to go from the very basic. Can we just get like, can we make it an average of 21? And it's like, damn, that, you know, but we look at life a little bit different ways. And they're saying like 21 is better than 22. And then we can use that momentum going forward because there are like the VA has a, a crisis hotline. You can sit there and do it. And it's great. And but like you're saying earlier, it takes two to tangle on this one. It takes you to sit there and say, I'm having a problem. And because you're going to find out there's so many resources. You got all the people you serve with. You got your family. Shit, I, I promise you, if you go to the store and like cry to a cashier and just say, I'm having a problem, somebody will help you. That is true, but it's that that inside that we have to sit there and strip that wall down and sit there and say, "Fuck, I need help." Uh, and I think just saying that, you know, will do that. And, I, and I'm hoping that when people hear your story, my story, all our stories, they can sit there and understand. Hey, you know, even though you didn't commit suicide, you still have to deal with someone who commits suicide with you, and that shit lives with you forever. That, like those are some shit we're gonna take to the grave with us that we really don't talk to people about. There's there's some shit that I don't talk about at all. And it's just, it is what it is. And just kind of that comes with the business, but we have to really work on this part of talking about shit that doesn't, you know, it doesn't make the conversation happy. It makes us sad. It makes us reflect on things of our friends like, that committed suicide and friends that have died and, you know, in action, but we got to fucking deal with it. Cause if not 22 is a number and it's going to keep fucking going more. And you know, what else are we going to do? You know? So well, brother, as always, man, I thank you very much for your friendship, thank man. You, thank you man. for being yeah, on. For sure. Appreciate um, you having me on. I appreciate it, man. This I feel like we that more people need to listen to more healthy conversations like this, healthy discussions, you know. Yeah, I'm hoping this starts the conversation. I'm hoping, you know, someone can sit there and, and talk to each other. And more importantly, man, I, I hope more people, other vets do this too. I, I wish there was a thousand of these fucking podcasts. You know, because if they had one play, then it's a thousand plays of someone listening to someone's story. So, I, you know, I'm not even trying to sit there and say, I want to own the market. I don't give a fuck. That's why I make no money off of this shit. So I put it nonprofit. I, man, I think we got to help. And, you know, speaking to your, your, your passion earlier of helping kids, I, I've kind of I, I think this might be my passion where I'm like helping vets. Like, you know, I, I think it's helping people in general. Uh, I was talking to my therapist about this. Like, I don't really like people and I don't like to be around them in general. But I still want to help them. If there's a person who needs their car pushed, I'll push it. But I don't want to have a conversation with them. Like, I just want to, like, hey, you know, help you out and get the fuck on. Like, I I don't care to be your friend. But if you need help, I will help you. And I I think a lot of us have that ingrained in us being a servant. 
you know, being an NCO, being sitting there saying like, hey, your job is to make sure Johnny over here gets to work and, you know, does his job and learns his job and becomes the next tier, next generation of leadership. So I think that's where we're going forward, man. So again, thank you so much. Uh, we'll have to do this again, yeah, especially when it comes man. to graduation, man. I'd love to know what you're doing after that. And uh, we got to make sure we're always in contact, brother. Yeah, for sure, man. Appreciate it. All right, man. Later.